We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Consequence Podcast Network. I locked him up for a long time. But he got out and he came after me. But I got away. But he killed a lot of my friends. It happened on On Halloween. Halloween. You've heard the story. Who hasn't? Michael Myers. It's like 20 years ago, right? 1978. And the girl, what happened to the sister? She died, right? No, she faked her death. And now she's the headmistress of a very posh, secluded private school in Northern California. Hoping and praying every year that her brother won't find her. You're telling me the truth? From the rainy streets of Langdon, Illinois, through the open gates of Hillcrest Academy, we are Halloweenies! Hello, and welcome once again to another episode of Halloweenies, a Michael Myers podcast from the Consequence Podcast Network, a podcast where you'll find us covering one movie from the Michael Myers Halloween franchise every month leading up to David Gordon Green's retconning, reimagining, rebooting, re-something Re-re-re-re-re-re. of Halloween Pump this October. <laughs> I am one of your co-hosts, Justin Gerber, a senior writer at Consequence of Sound. And if you're just joining us, be sure to check out our earlier episodes on the first six, count them, six, six. Halloween oh, films. Jesus, it's been that However, long. if you've been dying to hear our takes on the major return of Jamie Lee Curtis to the franchise after a 17-year absence, you clicked on the right episode because today we'll be discussing at length 1998's Halloween Water 20 <laughs> years later. But before we dive into our dissection, let's head around the table and, and uh, chime in on the telephone, whoever, whoever's on that, on that line. Okay. And we'll introduce ourselves and then discuss the first time we saw Halloween H2O. 20 years later. So to kick things off, let's, let's find out who's listening in from the, uh, the hot-ass pavement of austin texas home of david gordon green i think 
Yeah, I think he lives here. That's what I've heard. I've, I've never seen him around. What can I say? Um, don't, don't you wish that sad. he filmed the new one in the, on the streets of Austin? Wouldn't you just have been like, you know, oh, haunting the places? Like, well, uh, what I meant to say was, let's hear from who's on the line. Who is this we're talking to? <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is Dan Detective Fitzsimmons, Caffrey. Oh, uh, the, good oh did I, did I, did I uh, steal it? No, no, I love that character. That's a good one. No, he's great. Good I wish he was in it more, actually. Me I think too. it would be cool if he was like pursuing Michael Myers. Um Halloween H2 is a big deal for me. It was the first Halloween movie that uh, I got to see in theaters. It was the first one that came out after I became a Halloween fan. And um, my parents and I were vacationing in the Outer Banks of North Carolina on this huge like family reunion thing. And it came out during then. And I, I remember my dad like took me away from the family, uh, m- much like uh, the Man in Black whisks away Michael Myers. He whisked me away to go see it. Wait, did and- he throw you in the back of a van? Yeah, yeah, he threw me in the back of the, the van, and uh, my my five year old niece um, was watching in a clown suit. And uh, yeah, we and I, I remember right afterwards we went to the comic book store, and I got the uh, Mike. What are those comics called? The Chaos ones, like the, the Chaos Comics, Eyes, like Blackest Eyes or something like that. I remember we I got that afterwards. Um, I loved HO when I saw it. I still really have a soft spot for it. We'll get into that later. But yeah, this is, regardless of anyone's feelings on it, uh, including my own, I, it's always going to be kind of a special Halloween movie because I remember seeing Michael Myers on the big screen for that very first time. I think the first shot we see him is when he's behind uh, Marion in the house. Uh, um, you just see him like kind of walk by really quick. And I, I remember that being such a jolting thing because it was the first time I saw Michael Myers on the big screen, the silver screen, but it would not be the last uh, let's just say that. Uh, but yeah, what what about you guys? Uh, who who wants to go next? I want to hear your nickname. This is uh, Mackenzie um, Levitt Gerber, and uh, <laughs> that's a nod to the actor, not the character. Uh, Joseph Gordon Levitt plays. I like that you use Levitt and not Gordon. Like Gordon, he's <laughs> <laughs> Levitt. Um, I honestly I cannot remember. The, I I know I saw this in the theaters, but I think. Having seen Halloween Six in the theaters, this this and because I, I think I love the ending of this. I remember seeing it maybe at, at the AMC at Pleasure Island. I think, very possible. Uh, was it a pleasurable experience? It, it you know it was for the most part. I think I I was really into the film for, for a lot of different reasons that I don't think I like it now for, <laughs> to, to be convoluted, but yeah, it it, it didn't. I remember that loving the ending, but I didn't uh, I didn't really. I don't know. It's not. It wasn't really a memorable experience for me in terms of as, as Halloween Six was. Yeah, for me, I we saw it at Pleasure Island. Mac. I was with you on that one, and I remember Aww. the audience was just. It was a great receptive audience. Yeah, like they mm-hmm. screamed at the right moments. Everybody was really into it. And what really sticks with me, I should say, is the ending. I still we'll talk about the ending later on, but it was great experience to see it on the big screen. I've, I've really been looking forward to it. This is the first time they really tried to do something like this in terms of deliberately retconning. Yeah. A history of a, of a franchise that I can think of, at least, I can in, think, at least in our lifetime. And I have one man that I'm going to name later on who's responsible for all of that. Oh, yeah. I'm sure we're going to love talking about him in great detail. <laughs> yeah. Him or her, we don't know. I guess Mike does. Uh, Mike, what about you? This is an important movie for me, just like Dan. I This is the one that really kind of really, 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 really kicked it off for me. I mean, I had been interested in this franchise with Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, I'd rented the films. I'd seen it on NBC. So I, I was already an obsessed fan. Mm-hmm. But this felt like the movie, like the event that it, you know, I had always heard about with regards to Halloween. You know, like the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis' return was huge. I mean, mm-hmm. it was a big, big, big deal. And I remember early on, because, you know, if you recall from the past episodes, 
I created uh, Haddonfield, Illinois, with, uh, which Haddonfield, Illinois, <laughs> Illinois. What is this? Uh, oh, Sufjan Stevens. Come on, feel the Illinois. Sufjan Stevens. When is he going to play uh, Michael Myers? That'd be a good one. Oh, he's going <laughs> to write an album about the franchise. But he should actually. That would be great. It could be one of his uh, state albums. Actually, it'll be very really varied it. and all over the place, just oh. like a lot of his albums. Oh wow! In a good way. Some shots fired over way. to no, Sufjan. No, that's a good thing. No, that is a good thing. But uh, for me, it was a really big deal because I. I had just started the website maybe like a few months earlier. So I was, this was actually the first experience just for me covering like something in pop culture mm. beat for beat day by day. And that was, you know, something that I still do today because, you know, I work and I help run Consequence of Sound. So I really do feel like a lot of the DNA from my job and that comes back down to my earliest experiences with this movie. And it was an exciting time. I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't, I have a lot of problems and issues with this movie, but like Dan, I would be lying if I didn't say I absolutely loved this movie when it first came out. Like, I, I saw this movie, I, before, this was the most times I'd seen a movie in theaters until Spider Man came out in 2002. Uh, I saw Wait. it, um, I'm not joking. I saw this movie uh, probably nine to 10 times in theaters. I, I just don't understand you guys. Man. I'm not kidding. Um, like the most I've ever seen a movie on its first run was like maybe three times. I, I've I, named I, the movies. I saw it. Well, the, the, the thing that was interesting was that, so I had um, Cap Lackard. The two of us were huge Halloweenies. In fact, she was the only one that I knew that really loved this series, which is why I think I gravitated so much to you guys when I first met you, because I couldn't believe that someone had this much obsession and could fucking quote Gary Hunt um, <laughs> and all these other characters that I had known and just religiously written about. And the fact that, Justin, that you'd even written like fan screenplays was mind-blowing to me, because that's something that I would do on my free time because I just was obsessed with this franchise. So this is for me, like, and I'm sorry if I'm digressing here, but this is like, this this movie is just, I, I vividly remember every day of the summer of 98 leading up to this movie. I remember anxiously waiting for the trailer to drop. I remember, uh, I, I, I joked around saying I was I would, I would haunt uh, theaters because I would hear rumors of a trailer dropping. So I thought the Switchback trailer was one, one time an H2O trailer. I remember... Um, framing my Entertainment Weekly cover that had uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and, and Michelle, Michelle Williams. Williams on the cover. Because uh, confession, I was incredibly sexually attracted to Jamie Lee Curtis uh, growing up. So I, as all those people from yeah. our generation, well, all those photos that were in <laughs> like in the Entertainment Weekly oh, where she's yeah. like in a bath of blood and everything. Yeah. It was just it was it for me. And I'm, this is this might be a little weird, but this is also like a time <laughs> that was like a really sexually like awakening for me. Also, well, you were what 13, 14? I was about fourteen years old. So. Yeah. This is just this is just like a really weird coming of age summer for me, and so for me, this movie will always mean something. Yeah. So the the the, the weird thing about this is that I saw this at a, at a screening like the night that it was in conjunction with the actual opening because the opening was like July twenty seventh, I believe, mm-hmm. and I saw it a few days later at a screening in Hollywood, Florida, that I just randomly got invited to. I don't know who I still don't know who invited me, and it was it was me, Cap, and my friend Eden who had come down from Fort Myers. And we used to joke around saying, oh, he's uh, Michael Fort Myers uh, Spalding, because uh, his, his name was Russ Spalding. And um, we, we all went together. We all dressed up as Michael Myers. So we had three Michael Myers that were in there. And they had a, a costume contest. And we won. And we won the posters, because nobody else dressed up in costumes. Oh, so we won all the posters. And the poster hung in my room for, oh my god, like 10, 15 years. Yeah. So it was a big deal. And like, I, like, like you were saying, Justin, like. People were going nuts during this movie. 
um, like absolutely going nuts. And you just knew that it was going to be a huge hit. And a few days later, I had an early birthday party because uh, my birthday is on August 21st. So I just had everyone come over and we all went out. I had like 15 people come to the screening, like at AMC Coral Ridge 10, which is in um, Oakland Park, Florida. And we all went and everyone loved it. Like there, my mom loved it. And um, it, it just was really, it just felt like such, it was like, honestly, like the first moment I really ever experienced of like an actual like pop culture movie moment. Like this is before Star Wars came back. So like, it was just a huge deal. And I'm, so I want to put all that on the table because I am going to be viciously attacking this movie today. Oh, <laughs> um, so I, because, because I have a lot of fucking thoughts about this film, Yeah. but I want you to, I wanted to put out there that I I, I absolutely confess that I did love this movie, and I thought that this was like my third favorite of the series at the time it came out. Anyway, end digression. I apologize. Sorry. Well, there's a couple <laughs> important things to remember also when we saw this in 98. This is around the time of the Scream resurgence. Yes. Horror had totally changed overnight. Yeah. Kevin Williamson was the go-to model. He wrote, yeah. he wrote Scream. I think he wrote I – mean, I know what you did last summer, right? Mm-hmm. And yeah, and he did some uh, some I think some some ghost edits on on the show script or a, a well, go, did, yeah, yeah, there's he, a lot of treatment, that. Yeah, but he's involved. That he's he's got a producer credit on this. He was like, but um, baby. obviously he had done Dawson's Creek, so Michelle Williams being in this was a huge tie-in because that was around the same time oh. it premiered. Steve Miner, Steve Miner directed a lot of episodes yeah. of Dawson's Creek as well. So the mindset back then was where we were all at. We were all in that mindset of yeah. enjoying this type of horror. Now, and of that age too, you know. And like of that they, age, we were teenagers, yeah. you know. Yeah. Of course, sometimes movies or moments age very well, or things come back. Yeah. But twenty years later, to steal a to steal from the title, <laughs> certain things don't age very no. well, and certain things are just time stamped to the late nineties. And this, um, for me, I this is an instance. On that, guys. Well, I I, this is just. We'll get into that. that. Classic, we'll talk about it. Go on. But I'm just trying to get everybody else. Maybe our younger uh, listeners out there who. Didn't see this in the theaters. We're too young. Maybe we weren't even alive yeah. to make us all feel very well, old. Just like, keep that in mind when we saw this and what was going on. Well, for cultural context, like this was two years later after Scream had mm-hmm. taken off. So at the at this point, it felt as if this was like, all right, the the old school blockbuster mm-hmm. is coming back to kind of claim its throne in a way. And One for me, days. like I never, I never, I mean, I saw it. As having a lot of scream elements, but f- at the time I just saw it as well. Halloween was such a big part of Scream. I mean, clearly, I mean, Jamie Lee Curtis even points out in the in the, the commentary that she kills quote unquote kills Stu in the movie Scream because it's her on the t- TV that crushes sc- Stu in oh, Scream, uh, which is kind funny. of funny. Um, and I never even thought about that. Yeah. But it's like, but Halloween was like, I mean, that is like the fabric of that movie because it's like the small town, the killer, and everything. So for me, it just felt like oh, this is a natural progression for them to finally get to the Halloween franchise. Because, I mean, I don't remember if you remember, like, in the tra- the trailers attached to Halloween H2O, there was a whole trend of old-school, like, horror, like, monsters coming back. Like, I remember Bride of Chucky trailer was dropped with Halloween H2O that night. And that was, like, the next thing going, like, oh, shit, that's the next monster to come back. So it felt like... Like horror was just—it was like a cultural zeitgeist for horror. Like it was just—it was such—it was such a big thing. And I—I I still don't think like even now horror is even as big and ubiquitous as it was in the late '90s. Like at that well, time, I think, I think right it was now, so. I think it's on the—it's definitely on the comeback. It's now, on the comeback. I would be surprised yeah. if it's—if we're reaching like another huge. I mean, we are in the middle of a huge wave of horror right now. Whether it's you know respected critical acclaim yeah. for something like Hereditary or it follows the Babadook, yeah. et cetera, et cetera, and then mainstream Blumhouse productions yeah. like. 
on Friends is becoming really big. And you know, I'm, I'm missing a few other ones. McConaughey and I, and all I think, that stuff. I think, and and I don't know. I have a feeling that both those two facets of modern horror, and now the kind of A24, Amazon, you know, indie darling, subversive horror, and the Blumhouse stuff. I know Blumhouse has some has some duds in their canon, but for the most part, I feel like all that stuff will age pretty well because it doesn't feel so tethered to the current times, at least in terms of aesthetic. Maybe in in, in oh, terms of theme and everything, but yeah, like it doesn't have that. You know, Creed Creed is not on the soundtrack or, or the equivalent to Creed, and I think like, and I wonder how that's going to come off in in twenty years. And also, too, H two O, I think, was the first Halloween movie not to be released during the fall, and yeah. so it, it's clear they were positioning it to be this kind of blockbuster thing. And then every movie up until this one that's about to come out, I think, did come out in July or August. Like yeah. the zombie movies were in the summer. Yep. Uh, Resurrection was in the summer. This is in the summer. So yeah, it's interesting to see how they're kind of teeing that up, um, given the the horror framework back then. Great point. A great way to lead us into our next section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did a segue. And actually, sure, you I did. I wasn't even aware. I was. And on aware. that note, and on that note, all I have to say is, Mr. Sandman, bring me a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> Not a lot of news since the last episode, but there are a couple things that are of definite interest to people in this room, <laughs> specifically regarding a certain screening that will be happening in September. Mike, what do you have for us here? Well, we know when it's going to debut. Halloween is going to be dropping at Toronto International Film Festival in September. Now, why is that a big deal to us? Well, it's a big deal because it's going to be a whole month and a half before it actually hits regular theaters or the general public. And we're going to be there. Now, Mike says we. He's, oh, using, yeah. he's using the royal we. <laughs> As editor-in-chief of COS, he's able to use the royal we. Yeah. He's going to be there. We will not be there. Yeah, unfortunately. So I won't be able to, won't be able to chat it up with my Halloweenies here. But we will have a report. Of some sorts, and mm. I can probably come into the studio and record it on my own, and so that you, you all don't have to hear it. But uh, I will, you know, give off my, uh, my, you know, my thoughts, feelings, spoilers, whatever. And if you want to listen to it, you'll be able to listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a huge deal. I mean, especially to go to TIFF is kind of, I mean, that's like where all the Oscar well, nominees usually end up. So I think it's nice. That they're doing that because even if there's a some kind of embargo, you know, the fact that they're letting people see it that early in a mass way, uh, you know, because maybe they're they're feeling good about it now. Mm-hmm. Also, premiering at TIFF is a movie I'm also looking forward to very much. Shane Black's Predator. Can't wait. Can't wait. Cannot wait for that. Other than that, we had another new photo featuring Laurie Strode and her daughter, mm-hmm. played by played Judy by Judy Greer. Greer. And one of the fans pointed out that uh, the hat from Lori's room from the first one is on the wall. They look a little nervous and scared in this photo, too. I wonder if Michael's finding them or something. Maybe. maybe no, they're... I like that little callback. That's a pretty cool little... Yeah. That's fun. That's, a, that's, fun. that's an example of a fun Easter egg. Yeah. You know, it could be there. It doesn't have to be there. It's fine. And the press is uh, starting to ramp up for this uh, new movie. Uh, Jamie Lee Curtis was interviewed by People. And uh, she said that uh, filming this movie was, weirdly enough, not that different from filming the original one. Uh, said it, uh, She said, Halloween in 1978 was a band of young guerrilla filmmakers, and it was fast and furious. Uh, and then she said that uh, this film was uh, very similar to that. Mm. She, you know, um, 
and she it's a it's just interesting that the she's really trying to kind of lean on this idea of being like kind of like the independent film i mean it's that being, it's the same energy from the yeah film. exactly yeah. um then she talks about a little bit about her being um the scream queen that followed her mother as being a scream queen yeah. and so she's having a little fun with this again you know and it's kind of and those it, very you know, similar beats that we saw in the press circuit for when h2o came out so I give this stuff a real hard time, you know, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. can we really believe it? I mean, of course, they're going to say that this is a great movie, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, like we do with uh, the Star Wars films or anything that we're anticipating, this anticipation period is fun. And so I, I'll eat these interviews up. I'll, you know, I eat it all up. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, the closer and closer we get, it's going to be a lot of fun seeing yeah. people on talk shows and seeing inevitably we'll see another trailer. We'll definitely see another trailer before it comes out. There'll be scenes online, and as averse as I am to usually watching that, for you, the listener, I will be watching all these scenes and trailers that come out, of course, too. The sap, the yeah. shock value of the film itself. But hey, what can you do? We're, we're here to give you the information, yeah. so we're going to yeah. give you the freaking information. Mm-hmm. Well, we got some information. Maybe. We yeah, don't know if it's confirmed This reads pretty true, but again, this is all speculation. There's nothing that we were able to confirm any of this, but I've, you want me to read this? Actually? Yeah, go I've for it. The, go for it. We'll keep, everybody keep talking here about your favorite Halloween film while I look up this tweet. Well, this one, of the, one, one of our... I actually pulled it up here, if you want me to just go for it, but the, the you know on our Facebook account, one of our fans sent us a, I got it, a I scoop. Got I should have known, because the fan... He, he says he's the real Michael Myers. Oh, wow. Real M. Myers, so we should believe him. And he wrote, I guess this was at a convention or something. We should actually preface this by saying major spoilers here. Major spoilers. Plot-wise. So, again, if you stop listening to the episode, thanks for listening. We'll see you for Halloween Resurrection. (laughs) Otherwise, just fast forward a couple minutes and you'll be fine. Okay. So the quote-unquote real Michael Myers says, Nick Castle stated that the film opens up on the same night. In 1978, Michael is found almost dead a couple blocks away. This is just what we predicted, by the Mm -hmm. way, unfortunately. The movie then shoots 40 years later, and he's been in Smith's Grove Sanitarium under the care of Dr. Loomis until his death in the late 90s. Interesting. On the eve of his new trial, to find out if Michael is to be executed or not, he is granted an interview with a bunch of reporters, and then he breaks out, and he goes looking for Lori. He makes his way back to Haddonfield, but little does he know, Lori's been trained in combat shooting, blah, 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 blah. And my, and she's also looking for him as opposed to him just looking for her. Mm-hmm. And they said that they will be factoring in the fact that Michael is 61 years old now. Mac, you had some thoughts on that last part. Uh, I don't mind the fact that he's 61. I think that makes sense. Like That was my issue with H2O. Is mm-hmm. like you had this uh, you know, younger than you know, 35, but still younger. Um, playing this older character, you know, like why just get someone the same, the actual age that they're, they're not gonna be able to move the same. Yeah. And if they're, they're treating him as an actual human being, like he was almost dead when they found him, then it makes sense that they would have like an older Michael playing this character. What I don't like is I, I, I again, if, if, if it's going to be this kind of like action flick where she's like battling him in a sense, I don't want to see, you know, him falling victim to booby traps and all sorts of stuff because one of the goofiest things is seeing him, like, fumbling around, uh, like that cut scene, like we were talking about from... Halloween Halloween 5. Halloween 6. When they're throwing him in the truck, you Mm -hmm. know, like Dan hates. 
Uh, I think it, yeah, he's <laughs> snickering and laughing. Uh, it's just dumb and stupid. You know, it, it reminds me a bit of the end of Nightmare on Elm Street when she starts using the booby traps on Freddy and Freddy, who's been terrifying this entire movie, kind of comes off as a doofus yeah. at the very end. Even though I like that sequence, it's, it doesn't work. Quite, wasn't he quite. and Freddie is he isn't he going like oh yeah he gets like hitting the balls and stuff you know you're just like I mean as an adult watching it now it's like that ending doesn't quite work I mean yeah. it, was, it was cool as hell and I love that scene when, especially when I was a kid you know like oh yeah you know set up all the traps it's like home alone you know <laughs> like even though it came out way before that yeah so I'm not thrilled about that and yeah it's just funny that they find him like two blocks down the street it, it makes the ending of have Halloween so dumb you know, you're like that, that just the, he's still out there and you hear yeah. the breathing and then you're like, yeah, he made it a couple blocks and then just collapsed because yeah. he was almost dead <laughs> from the six shots. You know, it's like just kind of ruins. I'll call ruins it now. It He'll be bit. found in front of the Myers house. Could be. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because yeah. we saw some footage or some oh, yeah, behind the scenes footage of the Myers house. So maybe that's. Oh, uh, that could be it. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't mind if he got found like trying to eat another dog. <laughs> like, dog like, ah, well, we'll just say he gets his power know, from the dogs. <laughs> we got this information from Real M. Myers on Facebook. So Real M. Myers, we know you're listening. Yeah. If we find out this is some bullshit, <laughs> you are going to be blocked from our Facebook blocked. page. So, but you know, if if it's if it's true. Thanks for the information. And yeah. to be fair, yeah. and to be honest, I, I hope you're lying to us because I don't like most of the stuff I'm hearing about this. So, uh, <laughs> anyway, anything else, Mike? Well, we also had uh, quite a scare. Mm. Maybe not quite a scare, but it was it was a surprise because Fright Rags shared what they had kind of said was the new theme mm-hmm. by John Carpenter, uh, yeah, which. So- yeah, you, you yeah. Wanted. So there was an Insta story I came across, and and you know they've been promoting their their new exclusive merchandise for mm-hmm. this film and the Halloween films. So there's no reason for me to think this wasn't legit. So mm-hmm. I immediately listened to it, and then I sent it to all you guys. And then of course right out the gate, there was you know speculation, and then Justin confirmed it with a tweet that he found that where they're totally denying that that yeah. was the score. And then Fright Rags retracted it at one point. They were like, "Oh yeah, actually, sorry, that wasn't it." You know. And I thought, what a dumb thing to do as, yeah. as a as a company. I don't know. I'm sorry. I love Fright Rags and I love a lot of the stuff they do, but what a, like they they've been kind of a, a legit resource. I remember when they posted the picture for the poster and stuff. Like that was how I found out about. Yeah. It. You know, I, so I've been kind of relying on them, and so I was a little let down that that wasn't actually the real score. Well, to their credit, it sounds pretty legit, and it does sound very similar to the score that we hear in the trailer. Yeah. Uh, which I imagine must have just been an amped up version from the other ones, because according to John Carpenter's publicist, to his knowledge, John's still mixing and recording mm-hmm. the stuff, uh, and which is something that I saw Nick Castle shared some photos of him doing like A and R work, so um, or ADR work on the movie. So obviously, they're still doing uh, work on this, and and honestly, it's you know one of the things that. Blumhouse remarked about this is that don't you think we would have made a more you know celebratory like sort of mm-hmm. announcement about this is like the first theme it just wasn't going to come out like this but I would expect something big because uh, on the same subject John Carpenter did announce that he is going to be doing a Halloween show on October 31st at Los Angeles uh, Palladium he's going to be playing uh, some uh, he's doing a show 
and whether or not the themes from Halloween, he's going to do like anthology. So maybe he's going to be doing like the new stuff. I mean, we asked him like last time I talked to him in November, I asked him about deep cuts off of the original Halloween score. And he said, no, but I imagine if it's the Halloween show, he's got to be doing more stuff. I hope so. I want to get some Myers theme. I want to get like Lori's theme. I want, you know, the shape stocks. I I don't know why he doesn't just do a live screen screening with the live score. It'd be awesome. But that's speculative. I want to say about that score that leaked, though. I'm happy it's not. Yeah. Because the second half of that score is straight from Halloween H2O. Uh, it's like the orchestration kicks in and like the strings kick in. God almighty. Don't. <laughs> let's keep it as subtle as we can. Well, we'll be talking about right. that. Let's keep, the, let's, keep the, let's keep the music right. Yeah. Um, Mike. I think that's that it? it. I think that's it. I think it's time for us to head to Smith's Grows and look into their archives. Let's go. You're right. Yes, I'm okay. He's gone. He's gone from here. The evil is gone. I, I got it. So after Halloween, the curse of Michael Myers, there really wasn't anywhere else to go. Yeah. Right. The the roads had ended at, back at Smith's Grove once again. Yeah. Babe, fetuses were in green liquids in what looked like you know tanks for fish, mm-hmm. fish tanks. And Michael Myers was maybe alive. Donald Pleasance, the actor, Donald Pleasance, was no longer with us. He had no passed longer. away, sadly, in 95 before filming actually wrapped. So where do we go from here? What do we do? I'd like to think that <laughs> somewhere in some weird spectral narrative universe, uh, Tommy, Kara, Danny, and Steven are in that Jeep, and they're just going up and down like a street, like in a in the mouth of madness. They just, <laughs> just keep loop, going back. And, yeah, a time loop. They were caught in... Yeah. Or it's I, like the Dream Master or something like that. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I uh, And I don't know what the original idea for this movie was, but I mean, I know you're going to talk to us about that, but I really wish they had continued with the new group because there's just so much to mine there, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, new characters and... and, and uh, I mean, I know Halloween 6 is a shit show, but I, I do think that they, they could have done that. And then, you know, but how, however, would we have ever gotten the Paul Rudd that we have and know today? You know? Uh, Paul Rudd, like, I think, had moved on by the yeah, time. Yeah, he had yeah. done Clueless at this point and some other things. So yeah. They would have had to replace him with, like, I don't know, Jason Ritter or something. Um, Steven Dorff, I don't know. Yeah, that would oh, actually oh, oh, man. Not Dorf, but I would have, if Steven, I mean, if Ritter was in there, I would have been all about it. Well, it would Ritter have made his yeah, way to I'm another Ritter fan. classic fan franchise. We'll talk about one day, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe so. So, anyway, go for it. Well, Mike has got some more background information, too. But a couple years go by, like I said earlier, Scream. Huge sensation. Changes horror, changes the, sl- the slasher film as we know it. Kevin Williamson. Big guy. Big guy. Big name. Hot. He's got a pitch. He's no Aaron Kruger, though. He's got, well, let's talk Just about joking. that later on. He's got a pitch for a new Halloween movie. A Halloween movie that at one point was going to be titled Halloween Seven. The Halloween 7, mm-hmm. The Revenge of Laurie Strode, which is fun. Take on the Revenge of Michael Myers titles. Yeah. And you're keeping with the, um, how, do you, how do you describe the subtitles? The blank of blank, yeah. you know. So how do they, okay, so yeah, I'm interested in this because if they're, if they're saying it's Seven and yeah. they're including these sequels, then how, how Exactly. Well, and I remember reading this in Entertainment Weekly. Because again, this is, the internet was not a huge news source no. back then. I remember flipping through, I think it was at like Walden Books or something like that, flipping through Entertainment Weekly, and it was just a little small paragraph blurb, and it was a picture of Jamie Lee Curtis, and it says the title, and that John Carpenter's going to be involved. And I am flipping out at this point. Oh, yeah. I, I, 
No idea. No idea. It was, it was unbelievable. And, you know, the year went on and on, and I found that the title was being changed, and actually Kevin Williamson wasn't going to be writing it, and, oh, actually, John Carpenter wasn't going to be directing it. And then the movie came out, and that's where my history kind of goes fuzzy. But, Mike, do you have some more information on that? Yeah, so based on the commentary and the documentaries that were also tagged and included with the Blu-ray set that came out in 2014... Uh, they there was a lot of weird things that were going on before this. So Dimension Films, despite Halloween Six or Halloween the Curse of Michael Myers being you know somewhat of a disappointment, <laughs> that's an understatement for them. They still wanted to go ahead with like a sequel, mm-hmm. so they actually tapped uh, Robert Zappia to make a direct sequel that was going to just dismiss or not dismiss what's the events that were going on in Halloween the Curse of Michael Myers, but Malika Cad. Uh, who looks absolutely weathered by the time they get to Halloween uh, H2O on the documentary, because I think they probably just did all his interviews for all the movies in <laughs> one thing. Oh, so by the time they get to him, by the time you get to this movie, like when the documentary that are included in each film, he just looks like he's like, w- w- we're still doing this? Uh, give me another cup of coffee. But he talks about how they basically commissioned Robert Zappia to write a script. And they're like, look, this Thorn stuff, it's too crazy essentially they're like they're throwing the towel in they're like we we tried mm. daniel Ferens did his best he did his college try to to, to make sense of all the shit that dominant often guard gerard or i just totally fucked that up yeah dominic Otenen gerard yeah whatever he, he wasn't even included in these documentaries so he's dismissed himself of the Halloween right. franchise so we'll call him the man in black <laughs> uh when the man in black introduced himself uh, and just basically destroyed this entire franchise they gave it their college try, like I said before, with Halloween, the Curse of Mike Myers. And Malik was basically like, they, they, and Mustafa, they were like, all right, let's just do something different. But it allegedly was going to be a direct-to-video sequel. That's how oh, bad this God. is getting. And wow. so Zapia had set this story in an all-girls school that was going to take place in, an, in a, um, you know, a separate area that wasn't in Illinois that was okay. going to be just removed. And it was going to involve like copycat killers, and there was going to be a, de- a detective that was going to use its this other serial killer that was going to be very Silence of the Lambs ish. That was God. going to help him find who this this Michael Myers was, and all this kind of chaos is going on back and forth. And mm-hmm. so Zappy is working on this script, and that's around the time that. Uh, they finally are like, well, hey, look, well, let's try to get Jamie Lee Curtis involved. And Jamie Lee Curtis was really amped about it. And so she really wanted to do it. And she was just like, and they're very dismissive of like the the sequels. And she was too. She was just like, I've never really seen them. And she talks about this in the commentary. But, you know, Halloween 1 and 2 was the, the one that the fans want. So she's like, well, why don't we do a, a you know, a story that follows and sees what happens to Lori 20 years later. Cause she was kind of like seeing the, you know, Halloween was her start obviously. Mm-hmm. And she's in this business for 20 years and she just wanted to celebrate that with a movie. So she contacted Deborah Hill and John Carpenter to try to do this. And they were all interested and they were all on board. Now what she doesn't mention in these commentaries or in the documentary, which is probably good for her is that Carpenter walked because he wasn't given $10 million to make this movie, uh, which is what he felt he was owed from all the finances that he lost or didn't get from Trankus and everyone. that Because, I mean, Halloween is a huge blockbuster hit, and right. he didn't see any of the proceeds from that. So um, he felt that, you know, $10 million, that's not really bad. I'm going to take it. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to offer that. Like, I want, that's what I want to make this movie. Obviously, the Acads and Dimension and 
uh, Harvey Monster Weinstein were like, I don't think so. And so he walked. So which is why eventually Deborah Hill walked and Curtis still wanted to do it, though. Uh, so she had also been working on uh, Forever Young, mm-hmm. who was, which was directed by Steve Miner. That's right. And Steve Miner had been working in North Carolina on Dawson's Creek with Kevin Williamson. So there was this trio that formed here. And then they lean on, you know, they take a treatment that was basically taking elements from Zappia's script of like the, 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 the school and everything. And so he wrote, Williamson took, you know, some of the ideas that Zappia had made it into a treatment because uh, like Zappy was actually commissioned to like, they're like, well, now we have Curtis involved. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> can you put Laurie Strode in this, in this script? But she could have just been the headmistress of the school for exactly. girls. Exactly. And, and, and that's and what they worked, that, worked it in that way. Yeah. And that's pretty much what they did. So, I mean, in one script, I mean, it's all disjointed and the timelines are still weird, even based on all this stuff that I'm trying to piece together. I was like trying to act like Tommy Doyle yesterday, trying to figure out all this shit. But still, with even with the copycat killer idea, it's very similar to Scream, which came out two yes, years before that. Exactly. So, so like, they're still trying to do some yeah. sort of like hip element that's very meta as well. Um, in one screenplay, I believe one draft, Zapia mentions that there was supposed to be a that John was going to be the only boy in an all-girls school, and then they eventually made it co-ed. Um, so there's a lot of these elements. There's going to be a detective. Because uh, at one point, Charles S. Dutton was attached to this movie. I think Robert Forster was also attached at one point, Really? Yeah. Oh, God, that would have been amazing. Well, that would have been cool. He's, he would have been the, the Loomis replacement, essentially. That would have been yeah. great. Yeah. Especially if he's coming off of Jackie Brown. Holy shit, that would have been great. Yeah, absolutely. But either way, Williamson writes this dra- this like treatment. And this is where I'm going to publicly apologize to slamming Kevin Williamson all these years. I always thought that it was Kevin Williamson that wrote off all the stuff that happened with four and six and all the other sequels and just retconned it and all. And I used to always give credit to Robert Zappia because in one of Zappia's scripts, one of the later drafts that I've read, which is my ideal draft, even though there's still some kind of issues with the ending that involve like a pool and all this other shit there is a sequence in the, one of these original drafts that has Laurie like in this in the um, the, the classroom, and it's very similar because they're talking about Frankenstein in the, in the actual right, final right. movie. But in the in this draft, there was a person that was going to go up and give a report on the Halloween murders, and they're going to detail what happened to Jamie and everything. And she was just going to leave the classroom and throw up in the bathroom, and that was going to be her way of just like, oh my god, like my daughter died and. And all this oh, other stuff, yeah. and which would have been really great, been really and you could intense. have easily done it, agreed, and it would have been fine. Now, here's the person that screwed it all up. And you want to want to take a guess? Kevin Williamson. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Williamson uh, had it in I, his I, draft. I know Akiva Goldsman. No, not Akiva Goldsman. <laughs> Hollywood Hack was out of c- commission at this was point. Premiere. The Acads. Nope. Weinstein. No. Curtis. No. One more person. Steve Miner. Miner. Yes. Steve Miner. He said wow. he would not I do this. I love Forever Young. <laughs> hey, Forever Young is a great movie with Mad Mel. Love it. You know, I was going to say this is all really interesting because I heard that Mad Mel was originally tapped to play the shape of the oh. film. <laughs> hey, he'd probably do a better job than Chris oh, Duran, which course. we'll go into in a minute. Actually, Mad Mel right now would probably be a pretty 
good candidate for the shape. He's the right uh, right age, right, right age, temperament. Yeah. Oh, wow. oh my god! Only if he could talk. People. Well, that's a whole I, other podcast, folks. But either way, let's just take all those old phone conversations with his wife <laughs> and just have him grunting through the mask. What if they, the oh, Halloween like theme's playing? It's like da da like like H two O theme, like playing in the beginning. The orchestral swells, and instead of the Lubus things, you hear like you. Wait, not to go on a huge tangent, but what if someone dubbed that over all the phone calls in Black Christmas? <laughs> oh my god, that would be amazing. Could, uh, god, that'd be really could, fun. Someone, someone can make a movie with him going. Going to kill Timothy Dalton. <laughs> Timothy Dalton's the headmaster. We're talking about just do Mel Gibson phone calls Timothy Dalton and have a good time. Anyway, let's get okay, back so to Steve Miner. Miner. So Steve Miner says he wouldn't do the movie if they didn't uh, directly dismiss all the sequels. And he okay. talks about how he's never seen any of the Friday the Thirteenth movies that he hasn't done, um, and that he never watched these sequels. And it was kind of like a little smug on the commentary. Uh, because, look, I'm not a huge fan of these other sequels, as you can hear in all these other episodes. But for them to, like, criticize them and to just kind of, like, be, like, dismissive when you haven't seen them either is very just naive well, to me. And I, as, a, as a creative person, I think coming into a film like this, I understand maybe not wanting to see them at that point yeah. because you're, you don't want to be informed by that necessarily. But, you know, wiki the plots so yeah. that you're at least in the know of... You know, you don't have to visually have seen it, but, you know, know what you're getting yourself into. Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't know. I, I I, mean, if he didn't want to do it, that's fine. That's his call. He's the one directing it. You know, it's his vision. But that's such a minor thing. Yeah. And just even a mi- just, like, it's a minor thing. It's a minor thing. I wish it was a minor thing. I wish that he had included that little bit. And all I had to yeah. be was her reading that thing. They could have just had like some quick flashes of some of that stuff. And then she throws up, and that's it. And then yeah. that's why she gets so shaken. Because they were going to have flashbacks, And starts too. talking. Yeah, and that's why she gets so shaken, and that's why she starts talking. That that would have really worked, I think, for the fans as well. And it would have solved all the problems of this and franchise. And they could have kept Halloween 7 as the title, because mm-hmm. it would have it would have absolutely been a, still a direct sequel while completely doing something new. And, I mean, even when I found out the movie was happening, I just immediately thought, oh, she faked her death mm-hmm. and left town. To protect her family. I mean, look at the news clippings. It, makes it sense. says automobile accident, which is what they say in Halloween 4. Yeah. So it doesn't make... I mean, it's so I, I stupid. It's just But even, even even during H2O, they still... Even watching that movie, I still thought the 4 and 6 could, could very well have happened. 4, 5, and 6. Mm-hmm. I think I think well, you're subconsciously leaving out 5. I know, five, yeah. yeah. 4 and 6. Because 5 yeah. is so bad. Because well, it's just awful. But. I also feel like... It's 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 hard. It's really hard because if you do include that, even in a minor way, then all of a sudden you're like, well, where are all these other characters? Why is Michael now not going after them? Why is he going after Lori again? That makes sense. Where is the Man in Black? What happened? Is he? Yeah. What what happened to Loomis? Because like Loomis, obviously, if they're saying six happened, then why is Loomis still alive? And, yeah. And no, I can I can explain age? all that. I yeah, he just now. retired. Well. Loomis is dead of old age. That's fine. And then in this movie, he finds out Lori's still alive. So he goes after her. He thinks she's dead. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, but I guess... If, but if, if we're supposed to believe in whatever version of Halloween 6 existed, that he was like now responsible for watching over Michael... And then he just no because died and the producers cut had not existed though it hadn't yeah so it's still it's just the, the regular release he's just on the he's on the prowl again. and it could just be that Tommy but he, Doyle but he and dies the kid in got the end away of that movie you're supposed to believe that he no. dies in the end of six no remember no, no, his mask Loomis is screams. off and, and Loomis is screaming no Loomis hold on everybody let's all back up so Loomis is dead right yeah okay so he's, he doesn't have to be in this movie at all he's dead 
somewhere oh, along you're the line, saying that they wouldn't Michael, have included that stuff at all at the beginning with Marion Chambers. Is that what you're saying? You could still. No, you could because you Marion Chambers. Loomis be, is dead. Yeah, but he maybe finds out Marion Chambers has information on Lori somehow. Finds out Lori's still alive. That becomes his main objection again. Who cares mm-hmm. about Tommy and Kara yeah, yeah, and Danny yeah, yeah. all this stuff? That's fine. I, 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 yeah, you'd have to rewrite the opening. Is that, that's all I was saying. You, or even you, just you say couldn't, that- you couldn't have. You couldn't have her watching over Donald Pleasance as he's really old and dying. It just wouldn't make sense. Or, but if you, yes, if you rewrite the whole opening to just be he's going after Marion Chambers because she has information. Oh, you take out different. one line of dialogue. I mean, that's not Or you add one line of dialogue and say he had a stroke in 95, which was what he could be screaming of at the end of the Halloween 6, and she took care of him. And he ransacks the house after he's dead. You know, you just have some sort of dialogue where you could be like, you know, even Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character would have been like, oh, whatever happened to that? You know, it's like... What, what you know? Weren't you taking care of that old man or something like that? And it's like, oh, well, he died, he passed away last year or something like that. You, you know, There's a lot like of that. You could have easily done it. And easy Either end, way, yeah. the convolution of this fucking franchise comes down to Miner, who had <laughs> was responsible for, by the way, a Halloween ripoff. Uh, by the way, if you think about it, because he was in charge, he was in charge of like some of the the Friday the Thirteenth movies. He did two or three. He did, he produced the executive he co-produced the first one and he directed the second and third one so he's directly involved with the first with the foundation of a franchise that ripped off halloween which cunningham sean cunningham is totally admitted and he's managed to come back almost and and derail the entire franchise for halloween even further by being like now we're dismissing this and we're gonna start this whole retcon thing which at the time, to be honest with you, I was totally fine with. But I, in I hindsight, care, really. I'm like, but now, why the hell did you have I, to do this? I was fine with it the first time. It's that it's happened like twice more since then. You know, that's looking back. You're mm-hmm. just it all seems like very cynical to me, and it yeah. just seems like this cash ploy. Um, I and we'll talk about Jamie Lee Curtis's comments and all that stuff. But yeah, it, the whole like. And also, too, retconning, what, that, that was kind of a novel thing back then, right? Like, mm-hmm. it wasn't common just to like, disregard movies like it is no, today. No, and And what's really crazy is there's one last piece in the production history that I have to, to bring up. Because at the 11th hour, Jamie Lee Curtis stresses this in the, in the commentary multiple times. And I had written quotes, and I uh, left my notebook uh, back in Langdon, Illinois. But <laughs> they, they found out that she went into this thinking that this is going to be her chance to get revenge and to finally kill Michael Myers. And at the 11th hour, she, Steve Miner, Kevin Williamson, Robert Zappia, all found out that in the contract, somewhere written deep embedded in the contract, a CAD, those ACADs, would not let that happen. Contractually, you could not kill Michael Myers. And so she almost walked. They were already starting to film when they found out about this. Uh, and she go well, they were, cause that was her whole impetus for this movie, which we can probably go into with this new film, but she wanted to make this movie saying that, all right, Lori's coming back. She's going to finally conquer her fears and she's going to take out Michael Myers. And this is her chance to do it. I mean, that's fine, but that's a little, I mean, to think that, especially that, that if that movie is going to be successful to think that they weren't going to continue making Michael Myers movies after this so that you could have your, your like ending, as a bookend, like, are you nuts? You know, like, well, you think they're really not going to continue doing Halloween films after this? If, I mean, but if I see where she's be coming from because the, the huge, like, bold, bold thing about this movie was, you know, Michael Myers getting his head cut off. Because exactly. the whole time exactly. in movies, yeah. you're, like, the thing people always scream at the screen is, like, 
Like, chop his head off. Chop his head yes. off. There's no way he's coming back from I'm, that. Yeah, so, we'll I mean, we'll save that for thing. later on. Yeah, yeah. I think we're getting to that a lot later on. But either way, just know but, going into this film, she wanted this to be a 20th anniversary celebration. Right. Obviously didn't get John. She didn't get Deborah. <laughs> she got Steve Miner, which is fine. And she got one of the hottest screenwriters to come in and do some ghostwriting stuff. And at one point, I think in his treatment, it involved a helicopter. Um, anyway. Anyway. We're, thank God that didn't happen. But the loophole she came up with, she and Steve and all the, her whole Halloweenies team herself, was that this would be consciously the ending. That Lori and the fans, there would be no teasing element here that... This would be the ending, that she would think that she had killed Myers. The fans would think that they killed Myers, even though they all knew that that wasn't the case and that she was contractually obligated to come back for another one. So it's a kind of a weird kind of lofty loophole that she sets herself up in well, this. Yeah, but that, that is weird. I would have been upset about that, like in terms of her being contractually obligated to appear in another film. Mm-hmm. That is a problem, I think, yeah. if, if, especially if she came in thinking that was going to be her last one. I thought I thought she was just upset that they were going to continue Michael Myers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, know, like, like she's supposed yeah. to have killed him. Yeah, I was like, nah, he'll always come back. So but either way, I mean, whatever. <laughs> that's that's the that's like pretty much the nitty gritty of what I uh, gleaned from these commentaries and the you know well, the, the making. Well, of. if you don't know off the top of your head, there's a lot of credited writers on for the story and for the mm-hmm. screenplay. If you want to look up who officially got credited, but I just want to say about Steve Miner, um, the director of this film. We touched upon it. He did Friday the 13th, 2, and 3. He directed a fun horror movie called House in the 80s as well. Oh, yeah. He, Forever Young, which is a really solid I agree. fantasy romance movie from mm-hmm. the early 90s with Mel Gibson and a young Elijah Wood. Yeah. Really, really good. That score is excellent. Love it. And obviously oh, yeah. Jamie Lee Curtis is in, is in that, and they worked together before. And he also did like Placid. Things, What's that? You said you mentioned Lake Placid. That's what I'm saying. After this, <laughs> it started to really go downhill. Lake Placid, which yeah. I saw in theaters, uh, was not. It seems to me like the Meg is getting the same reception now. Like this should have been a lot more fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He also did this abysmal Day of the Dead remake. Yeah. That's really really bad with Mina Savari and Ving Rhames. Oh, you watched that? I watched it. It's oh, really yes. bad. It's really really. And bad. Ving Rhames doesn't even play his same role. From it's Dawn very of the confusing. Dead. So, oh, you're missing one other movie. What, what am I missing here? This uh, hot uh, film that he that I, I wonder if anyone remembers this, Texas Rangers. Oh Ooh, my God, I that was around that. the same time as American uh, yeah. Outlaw. It was oh yeah. one. Yeah. Isn't that yeah. with Ritter? <laughs> it's uh, it's James got James Vanderbeek. It's got James Vanderbeek. Uh, it's got our boy Robert Patrick, Ashton Kutcher. Wow. Usher Raymond. Uh, God, yeah. It's it's Tom Skerritt's in it though. Hey, and Alfred Molina. I think I've seen this cast. movie. Yeah. But yeah, that was I, the Vanderbeek Heights right there. So, yeah. Not- I did want to say w- one thing real quick about, you know, we're going into all this convoluted history, but it's funny because the way all of this was spun at the time, I remember this, was that, like, it was just this big, harmonious love fest and that Jamie Lee Curtis had called up John Carpenter and said, oh, where would where would Laurie be 20 years later? Mm-hmm. And I remember I was like telling my dad about that and how cool that was, like that, oh, everyone's getting along, wants to do this movie. I remember my dad was just like, He's like, make mo- no mistake. They're doing it for the cat, like a cash oh. grab. Like he was, he was like, Jamie, she's not coming back if she like wants to do Halloween. Trust me, she's oh, getting a lot of money for this. Yeah, and it's it, it's just funny because at the time it seemed like it was this beautiful streamlined thing that everyone loved. But uh, as we know in Hollywood, things are not always as they seem. Cash is king. Cash is king. Stephen King. 
The other screenwriter that was credited is Matt Greenberg. Now, Matt Greenberg had, I had not heard his name at all in any of these, these mm. documentaries, which is kind of interesting. He did uh, Prophecy 2. Not good. Not good. He did Ghost Brigade. Never heard of it. What the hell is that? But after H2O, he had a pretty decent run. Not a decent, well, I guess an, an amicable well, run. Give me do? three yeah. major movies he did. Don't uh, give me the whole he did, thing. In 2002, he did Rain of Fire, which I think is underrated. Fun film. Yeah. Uh, he did 1408 in 2007. Oh, wow. Which isn't bad. Uh, <laughs> and in 2015, he did Seventh Son, which I haven't seen. But Okay, that's probably yeah. a um, video. Yeah, so either way. But he produced Prophecy 2, which we've already mm. established isn't very good. And... Um, <laughs> uh, the Crow Salvation in 2000, which actually is uh, a pretty good direct-to-video sequel. You always defend that movie. I, I do because I like Eric. Maybe because it's a little different from the basic Crow pl- plot line. Yeah, and it's obviously a million times better than what the movie that followed that. Do you know who's Wait. in uh, Crow Salvation? Uh, if we're going to lean on the Losers Club a little bit, no. Who? Eric Mabius. Eric. Well, Eric Mabius is great, and he's a total hunk. Uh, Kirsten but Dunst. Kirsten Dunst, who was Jamie Sheridan. Crush. Jamie Sheridan's in it. Yeah, right. But then also, guess who? Uh, go, there's a, another uh, character actor from Pet Cemetery that's Ew. in this movie. Dale Midkiff? Yes. Does he have really? a goatee or something like that in it? He's, I don't he's, remember. He's just, un, he's almost, un, he's just like a very older, older Dale Midkiff. So but that's before, literally the only other movie I could think before of. Before we get into this guy's draft or whatever, <laughs> uh, Seventh Son, that's, that's Jeff Bridges in the... No, that's from the 80s. That's a Demi Moore movie. Oh, is it? Yeah. Seventh oh, Son. Seventh Sign, I'm thinking of. Oh, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of, too. Yeah. Anyway. No, Seventh Son is Jeff Bridges. Oh. Yeah, no, oh. you're right. It was, it's was uh, Jeff Bridges, Ben Barnes, uh, Alicia oh, Vikander, your God. favorite. That's supposed to be awful. And Julianne Moore. Okay. Yeah, yeah, no, no. This was, this yeah, was, was a big... It was like a wizard thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's supposed to be awful. It was a huge anyway, temple, but anyway. To go all the way back, yeah. I do think there's some actually... There's some good direction in this movie. I, I agree. I would say that the main problem is a lot of that direction gets totally overshadowed by... Something we'll be talking about in our next category when it comes to the score for this film, which mm-hmm. is pretty awful. Awful. My favorite moment of his is near the end, and it's probably the only really great moment that Chris Durant has as Michael Myers. Is just the shot of Michael kind of stalking after Laurie, and it's just below his waist, and he's kind of walking towards the camera. And it goes on a little longer than you would expect it to go on. I think that works really well. Mm-hmm. I think the very beginning scene is really, really well shot. I do too. With him stalking Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, though, a lot of it just feels like you're watching, again, Dawson's Creek, the movie with Michael Myers. Or yeah. we're, we're, watching, we're basically watching a Scream movie, but instead of Ghostface, we've got Michael Myers, and instead of Sidney Prescott, we've got Laurie Strode. I think though, you know? I don't know. I'm going to push back on that a little bit. All right, I, good. Like I, I agree, I agree to an extent, but I don't know if that's necessarily how it's shot as much as how it, as much as how it's scored. I mean, like we, we'll yeah. talk about like the the barring about like it's weird because I feel like they shot it like it probably was a Halloween movie, and I think so much of it was in post, like them just kind of leaning into oh man, we got to make this like dimension films sleek kind of thing. Yeah. and I don't know. I, I would still rather have that than something like Five or, or whatever else. And I, I don't know. The movie still remains pretty scary to me, even in that second half, which is when I feel like it really becomes a 90s slasher flick. Um, but I'll, I'll save it. Well, I don't want to get in too big well, of a fight. Well, I, I think really we're no, talking think mostly about direction, things. though. I think that it, the, the movie is just, in terms of pacing, all over the place. Yeah. Like, you have some amazingly paced scenes. Like, all the sequences involving Jamie Lee Curtis and Adam Arkin are great 
Yeah. All the Got, grown up scenes. Awesome, yes. Yeah. Like I love the sequences when they're in town and it's the two of them talking mm-hmm. and there's actual dialogue which you don't even see anymore in mainstream horror movies. I yeah. love the sequences in um Laurie/Carrie's house with Adam Arkin. Uh, I love the the back and forth interplay when they're in the office. Uh, and they they have all the adult sequences, and this is something Mac and I had talked about prior to this episode. That storyline is strong. Yeah, it's when it becomes the teenagers where it starts out really good, and you start getting like little details about different characters. Even though Jodie Lynn O'Keefe, like the way she delivers lines, I can't even tell what she's saying half the time. Well, you know, but it's, it, what's bizarre about that is they felt like they had to shoehorn in all of these, these teenagers mm-hmm. because these movies usually do. And, yeah. and, and maybe, and you could justify it for a body count, but then they don't even really kill a lot no. of people in this movie. So no, it's like, why no. did you do that? If they had just focused on all the kids leave and it's just these like, few mm-hmm. random adults you know you could have had norma still around you know you could have you could have had <laughs> people there no but you could have had shower. people and it would have been like this older generation like myers is back to like yeah. clean the house and i think that that still would have been extremely effective and scary i know that you don't have kids in it but i think if we could michael myers alone i think people are going to go i think young kids are going to still go see this movie that's a genius idea and imagine if they would have been able if they really wanted to play with the fucking meta thing at the time you could add a sequence where norma goes to her car that car that we see Mm -hmm. and myers in the back just like in the first one kills her in there and kills the scream queen the the first scream queen yeah then you have like lo cool j stalking the area and then he gets like there's like a slow thing where he gets killed because then originally in Zappia's screenplay, one of the things I really loved is that they used the woods to its advantage, mm-hmm. which is something we really haven't seen so much with Myers other yeah. than the fifth one. And that would have been really cool because there's a lot of like interesting interplay with like his shadows like in the in the woods. So yeah, I agree. Like if it would have been more of an adult focused film, and maybe even had John and 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 um you could still have the four kids in the sense, but like the focus is less on them and it's more of just like the actual it's more of like a carpenter-esque. Uh, one location thing, which is what I do actually like about this story is that it does feel very Carpenter-esque, mm-hmm. but it's just played to such a sleek, maddeningly, like, fast-paced thing. It's like once they start doing the kills, it's like they get a hard on, like, oh, God, we're going to keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. It's just like, no, 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 just set yourself, like, pace yourself a little bit. Like, But it also would have made more sense in terms of him being, like, a babysitter killer because yeah. here are all these adults watching these kids again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. you could have left it off with the kids being alive, and then you could have continued with movies following them. And yeah. you know now they're the ones being who are jolted by this and and are you know being followed by Michael. Yeah, it's one. Well, I think I think too with the the kids in this movie. It's if you watch the first Halloween movie, even the even the second one, um, the dialogue between the younger characters it's very simple. It's just like what kids would talk about. Oh, yeah. like I love my book, so we have cheerleading practice, this or that. They're talking about sex. Where in this yeah. one. It has those those like I know he didn't have an official credit, but it has those Kevin Williamson witticisms, you know, oh, where they're totally. like yeah, they're talking way way above their not their intelligence level, but just like what's believable coming out of a teenager's mouth. Even when they talk about sex, it's like it's like oh, we'll have bouts of animal sex, and you're just like ah, oh, that's kind of like a kid wouldn't say that, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know, so I think that's why it also that that element of it. I will agree does feel like a, a little lesser than the adult scenes. Well, from a structure standpoint, it's, it's strange to think about. I just now thought about this. Literally half the kills in this movie are in the first ten minutes. Because mm-hmm. yeah. after the first ten minutes, there's only three more murders, which I kind of admire. To be I honest too. with you, I think there's yeah. a, about an hour that goes by before anybody else gets killed. Yeah. So, like you said, the pacing there is pretty good. Unfortunately, in my opinion, who we're spending a lot of time with during the the kind of slow pace of it are these kids. Mm-hmm. 
And we'll, we'll get into that when we get into the character breakdown. Anyway, I think we've laid the groundwork for the history for yeah. Halloween H2O. We talked a little bit about the direction. We've teased some future elements. But let's get right into that, uh, uh. that musical selection. So let's turn on the radio and turn the dial to WKNB. Fiber, 17-year-old Lori Strode was found directly across the street from the home where the murders took place. The teenager was taken across town to Haddonfield Memorial Clinic. Where the fuck do we begin with this one? <laughs> you know what I always think about from what I like in my Halloween score is romance. I like a big sweeping orchestra coming in there. Like, I like I do like piccolos playing some of the Halloween notes every once in a while. I mean, are we kidding me? Are you kidding me right here? Like, well, again, it's really bad. And this is extremely influenced by the Scream score. I'm Definitely. Sure. Well, Marco Baltrami is involved. Yeah, yeah. It, it is very much um, playing on that whole. You know, it was their way of bringing in, I guess, a, a I don't know, a current. Uh, you know, more edgy. Score. I mean, they really were just kind of ripping on on the scream bit. You know, it really feels like like every single moment, every single turn, every you know, everything is scored, and it's just it it does not work. It does not work for this movie. Like, give me that weird synth playing one note yeah. and just kind of lingering, and you know, with a sting every once in a while when you see Myers or something. Um, Call me old fashioned, but <laughs> old fashioned. I, I just, I yeah, this score in this does not work for me at all. Well, I actually don't. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Mike. Well, it's 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 kind of a, a scrappy history for this as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, I was gonna say, give some of the context. Yeah, and know, like, so why like, it sounds the way it does. All right, so John Ottman, who at that point didn't have a bad resume, he's coming off of it's like three years since he did the Usual Suspects. Yeah. So he had he's Brian Singer's boy for uh, the great Brian Singer, uh, his uh, go to uh, composer, and he had just done the Cable Guy. Uh, he had worked with Brian Singer again on App Pupil, a Stephen King adaptation, mm-hmm. and so you'd think like, okay, well, it makes sense that they would go and tap this guy. At least it wasn't Beltrami at, at, in the initial phase because he had just done all the fucking Scream stuff and whatnot. And, and if you recall, a year beforehand, Dimension Films was so they almost like tried acting like michael mann and we we're like eh, actually marco why don't you just use your fucking themes from broken arrow and wedge this into scream too so the weinsteins had a really big hold on like the final cuts all the time which is something why they parody that in scream three mm-hmm. uh like lance Hen- hendrickson's like oh final cut and then he gets his fucking throat slash or whatever but like they that, that was like that was a huge thing with the Weinsteins. Like, oh wow, what a surprise! These um, monsters uh, want control over everything. But they um, they they basically came in again at like the eleventh hour, and were like, Ottman's score is not working. Which, to be fair, is they they were not wrong in that in that respect. But they like gave a hail mary to Marco Beltrami, who I apparently in the commentary they said they flew him in to do some last minute things, but I, it, it's literally just swells and patches of like the scream stuff. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I, I'm thinking about certain scenes, especially when it's, um, Adam Arkin. Yes. And Jamie Lee Curtis in mm-hmm. town. And just imagining that even that discussion replaced with the Myers house theme mm-hmm. or when she's, especially when she's confessing to him, imagine that replaced instead of having this, this like lame generic soap opera yeah. or- orchestration replace that with Lori's theme. I mean, I would love to see actually a recut of this movie with a recut score. Apparently, There's a lot of things I could see. You could recut this movie and make it really good. But I have my own theories on that we'll talk about later on. I think the TV cut actually has like original uh, 
cuts from like like old score mm-hmm. almost like how they did with the t- the two and they also have like deleted footage that that they use and they wet like weld into this movie um like the original cut had so i married an axe murder on the screen uh instead of scream two oh, in the well, kids rooms which would be sense. funnier uh but so in the tv cut that's still there mm-hmm. uh but it's like only popped up occasionally it wasn't on the blu-ray Either way, I agree. I would love to see like an original score on this because Ottman's is like it's funny because I actually owned Ottman's score because I really love the orchestral introduction in the beginning. Like I used to as a kid, I used to think it was just so anthemic, and I think it does work in the opening credits in a way. But for the rest of the movie, yeah, it, it just makes it too precious. Like, well, I was, I was going to ask you guys because I actually in that opening sequence, the you know with Marion and her two neighbors getting killed, and then the the subsequent credit sequence. Where we're getting just these orchestral variations on the normal theme. I actually really like it in both of those cases. Like it, it just adds kind of like some ambition to it and some grandness. It's more when it it's more when the orchestra stuff gets away from the Halloween theme, when they're just like doing new compositions mm-hmm. and yes. using the using those pieces from Scream and Mimic, which is more in the second yeah. half of Mimic. The that no, it's just so it's funny. I don't know. It's like the hey, fluttering, like yeah, Charles is done in there, but uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't, hate, I don't necessarily hate it when it's just like an orchestral take on Halloween because we haven't really heard that before. I guess my problem is the lack of consistency. And, and was the issue that Ottman did they just not like the orchestrations, or was the issue just that he didn't have enough to like have it sustain a movie? You. It was more of like they. They just. It wasn't working. I was just gonna say it's just like you know whenever ghost faces show up and it'd be like that fluttering like like trumpet mm-hmm. uh, you know like you yes. know like <laughs> and it just doesn't work when Michael because Michael is just he's not the kind of guy that to like jump out and scare you yeah he's the kind of guy that you know kind of walks into the frame and and then you realize oh you shit it's hit. you know what I mean yeah. like, it just doesn't work in that sense and they make him more of a jump scare person in this and that's where it just doesn't work for me it's telling that. Maybe the best moment of music in this film is at the very, very end when that original Carpenter music kicks yes. in, oh. and that is so fucking good, yeah, and effective. And we'll talk about what that goes into later on. What you want to know? A fun fact about that? What? <laughs> this is so crazy. So in the commentary, or maybe in the documentary, I can't, I'm just blurring them now at this point. They <laughs> they just pulled the CD. Like I'm the telling, 20th it's anniversary CD, literally the yeah. original composition, it's, and it's so it's so rough. Yeah, that's what I love about it too. But yeah, they literally just lifted it from the CD of great, like that though. we all have that you're looking at right now. Yeah. It's that that very one, and they're just like, yeah, let's just throw it on the at the end here, and which is so much more effective. pivotal decision. Oh, God damn it. pivotal it's, decision. It's funny because when I think about musical moments that I feel like work in the movie. Um, there's that one shot in the very beginning. It's it's where Michael is driving out of Marion's driveway, and I think yeah. that's when you first hear the ding 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 ding, and like that works well with those those orchestrations. But I, I I do agree with Mac. I think the problem is that specific like musical moment or like that composition that doesn't quite work when it's like Michael Myers jumping out of a tree or or whatever, <laughs> jumping out of a tree. <laughs> or <laughs> lifting himself yeah. down from a Ooh. pipe or whatever. But yeah, so I, yeah, so there's I mean as my and as much as I'm. I like the movie, and I'm kind of the defender of it. I think that uh, the score is definitely the might be the weakest part for me. It just doesn't feel there's no consistency to it. It feels like tonally just so off. Yeah, well, they, they 100. You can watch the original scenes with Ottman's score oh, on really? the Blu-ray. Yeah, they have like sequences that have his themes on there, and he they actually interviewed him for the documentary, and he's still really bitter about them, like just totally chopping. You know, his I stuff watched off. this documentary when the big Blu-ray collection came out. Yeah. I just didn't retain a lot. It's been about four or five years, so he he talks about how like 
I, you know, I, I originally did an homage to the shape stocks and they, they show it and it's a, it's definitely better than the scream stuff that they have, um, that you mentioned Mac, because I mean, when he's stalking, uh, you know, John and Molly towards that sequence with, uh, you know, the gate it's yeah, that is the scream score. And the one that he had was like a variation, like an orchestral, like shape stocks, which is better, but it still just feels so it's just weird. You know, it's one of those things. Like, like I love John Williams, yeah. but I wouldn't want John Williams scoring a Halloween movie. Yeah, you know, it's just it, the tone doesn't fit. I will say a musical cue I do love that is used a couple times in this is a nod to Halloween two with the Mr. Sandman music. Yeah, I love the, yeah. the, the, the this yeah. music. The movie opens mm-hmm. with Mr. Sandman, just like Halloween two opens with Mr. Sandman, and they use the same font, which is and awesome. the same font, which is also great. And something I noticed this go around, which is funny. When she is in her car taking John back to school, Mr. Sandman's playing on the radio, and she kind of smiles and turns it off. Mm-hmm. And she drives away. Michael's there, and he yeah. drives after her. That is that's an a cool moment. sequence. I, when they show that car, and there's that sting of music. That I just I don't know because I think you're having this nice moment with Laurie, and that that was one of the only scenes that I thought really worked in terms of like giving me some chills. You know, yeah. Mm-hmm. There's uh there's one other little musical homage also. It's when Norma gets into her car, which mm-hmm. is from Psycho. Oh, we God. hear a little bit of the Psycho theme of of you yep. know what what underscores that and uh, yeah. what, which I like. And I don't know. you know that's, I want to talk about this. Well, you know we'll talk we about that for, it, for our so next we, section. Okay, okay, sure. For the September yeah, girls, yeah. we can talk. We about have that. one more musical cue. All right. Oh our my boys God. From well, Jacksonville. You know what? Let's go back in time. I remember when I was in high school. If I was going on a romantic date, you know, we would flim. Do you want to listen to a little Tevin Campbell? Do you want to listen to a little Brandy? Do you want to listen to a little, I don't know, you know, Madonna's still very popular. Yeah, Ray of Light. Nope. Let's put on Creed's My Own Prison record. Okay. And let's put on a little, what is this life for? All right. Let's go. Now, this is where I'm going to step in, right. and I'm going to defend this song. Oh, wait, wait, you could defend the song, the but song, in the romantic candlelit dinner, no. would you play Creed? No, not at Thank all. Thank you. Not at all. And in fact, like in the beginning, they are playing like R&B. When they're just first kind of just hanging yeah, we out, we tried to all. look up that song. I could not figure out what it was. The R and B song. Yeah, yeah. I, I have no idea yeah, what it was. Shazam but... it, man! I should have shazammed it. Yeah, but yeah. the I actually really did like uh, this album, My Own Prison. Yeah, I actually no, think the first it's the couple only... songs back in the day. Yeah, all about it. Not yeah. the fi- not 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 saying anything about the song. I I liked that first album and even the second album, and I like that song. Mm-hmm. I don't. It doesn't need to be in this movie. No, <laughs> and it doesn't need uh, to you... cut off the. Halloween theme in the credits and, and at a random point and then come into the credits. You're like, what? Yeah. Closing credits. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's, I, all, it's also yeah. funny because like, if you look at all the Halloween movies leading up to this, I mean, yeah, you have Mr. Sandman and you have don't fear the Reaper, but also those were both, well, don't, I guess don't fear the Reaper was kind of current when the first Halloween movie came out, oh, but don't, but that's yeah. just playing in a car. Yeah. Barely and Mr. Sandman's like movie, an yeah. older, Mr. Sandman was like, you know, out like a, at least a decade before Halloween two came out, probably longer, probably more like 20 years. What this this was just the inclusion of the Creed song is just so indicative for the first time in the franchise ever of like all right we need to get like the biggest rock song in there and yeah you know like like it's like a bid for popularity that even four five and six they don't do that like all those- uh, au contraire part Wait, six we part six of that big rock song that they tried brother to can oh, oh, oh yeah was Dan there was a co- there was a tr- there was a commercial trailer on TV that just featured that song yeah. and at the end of it yeah. would say. 
you know, Halloween's Halloween Curse of Michael Myers featuring the hit single, whatever it was. Yeah. But oh, I yeah. think that's different though, because that that was still like the movie trying to make that song really popular. I think no. Creed was already so No, well no, they weren't they weren't though. That's the thing. Really? No, no, because Human Clay was not until ninety nine. And oh God, not to be like a fucking Creed historian here, but like <laughs> I'm telling story. you though, because I was obsessed with my own prison when this came out, even though I didn't really realize the despite the fact that I was in Episcopalian school and only a year removed from going into a Catholic school, not realizing that half these songs are about, you know, pro-life and all this other craziness. But it was like, they Thanks went all... listening, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, but it's like a really super religious album, and I didn't realize that. Um, and I, But I love this album, and so I, would, I was... I remember even going to this Jewish camp uh, that, that next summer up in upstate New York, a very wet, hot American summer-esque, and I would be listening to my own prison, and all my fr- like all these like fellas Jewish kids are just like, you like Creed? And I'm like, yeah, this song's fucking great. It was in like Halloween last year. And they're like, do you know they're like a Christian rock band? And then that was like a big, rude awakening for me. I was like, what? Well, and like, then hey, I realized- this is some Aphex Twin instead. It was like, but- not to mention Usual Suspects, but it was like a Kaiser Soze moment. I like dropped the, the, the and I listened to re-listen to all the songs, and then I re-listened to What's This Life For? And I'm like, oh my God, this is all just Christian rock. This is I'm crazy. looking at the, at, at like the stats right now to see if how, Creed, how popular Creed I'm was. I'm telling you, My Own yeah. Prison was a popular single, but it's very similar to Brother Kane. No, you're there right. no music videos really it was all like radio if even what's this life for i think that was their opening single wasn't it because i didn't my prison was their first single but when i because i you're right i didn't really know who who creed was until human clay and i'm looking at the i'm looking at the what's this life for when it came out what's this life for as a single you're right it it did not come out till june 9th 1998 the movie came out august 5th what late july august it was august 5th so yeah i guess you're right what's this life for was not a super well-known song well think h2o helped uh helped contribute no i don't no, think i don't think it to do with it no. i, I want to go back to what max said i think that in the closing credits for it to go from that great john carpenter score to be to be mercilessly cut off by this creed single is like the best representation of this movie you know yeah because they don't let the they don't let it end it just cuts it off weirdly and starts this other song and you're yeah, it, it's 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 the '90s attack on this franchise. You're trying to recapture the magic of 1978, only to get obliterated by a a single that's been that's dated so poorly from 1998. <laughs> was uh, hey, there you go. Wasn't the uh, the music video, the official music video for uh, What's This Life For? I think was like one of those where they just like kind of awkwardly cut in Halloween footage. They right? did, like, yeah, because you see like yeah. Scott Stapp in the middle of like the Salton Sea or something like that. Well, I don't remember because, this thing at all. Yeah, because they also have like Michael shredding on the guitar. At one time. <laughs> okay, listen, we. <laughs> We have digressed far too much on fucking Creed. So let's move on to our next category, yeah. for the love of God. And, you know, numbers are involved. The shape is involved. And we're going to call this category Michael Myers is 21. Stop! 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 Matt, I don't like him. <laughs> I hate him. Yeah, Mike had a great tweet this morning, and I 100% agree. You said that Chris Durand is the worst shape. Yes. And watching this, I actually have a note here. I say, um, Chris Dur- I actually, I, I mistaken him for Brad Laurie, who plays the shape in the next movie. I wrote, he uh, walks like he has a stick up his ass. <laughs> There's nothing imposing about this character. No. He doesn't, even though I think he was actually 35 in this movie, the stuntman, so make can look at how old he was. Yeah. He feels like he's 25 years old. Like he feels like he's much younger than Laurie. He, he just does not feel like the shape. No, he to was me. 25 years old when he did this movie. He was 25. He was born in 1963. 25? No, he's 35. Oh, so 35. Oh. Yeah. So oh, I know math really well. So, <laughs> I, and 
we'll get into the masks in a moment because there's a lot uh, to talk about with the masks. God damn it. Not a very imposing presence, and that mask doesn't do him any favors. Dan or Matt, Mike, Mac, do you want to say something else? Uh, yeah. Does anybody have any information on how this Joker was cast? <laughs> this Joker? <laughs> He's a stuntman. He's a stuntman. Well, I don't know. So, you know, there's some, on some of these uh, documentaries and things, they interview the, the shape. And yeah, but I feel like... The, was he on the dock at all? I'm pretty sure he's on the documentary. So he, a, he is on the documentary, and he has a lot of really like fun things. He seems like a nice guy. I'm sure he's nice. Um, sure, yeah. But it's, it's what's interesting is that you know, according to the Halloween Wiki, uh, it's it's really funny. They write on here he is usually regarded as the worst Michael because he had never seen a Halloween film at the time that he took the role, so he did not know how the character acted, the, which yeah. is so, so true. true. The gate it's, is off. It's so funny because his first appearance is actually really great mm-hmm. and you think everything's going to be totally fine because ironically I don't even know if it's ironically but just weirdly enough the mask when he first appears and it's at the door at the um, at Jimmy's house with Marion he's wearing the Halloween 6 mask yeah okay. and he, they, they, and he's, they, they filmed a lot of scenes with the 6 mask yeah. which I We'll get to masks in a second. Well, but they can actually kind of start talking about that now. Well, he, I think a lot of the problems also that Duran has is that he's way too fast. Like, yeah. And he does this, like, this weird thing where he like slouches his head, and it almost looks like he's like this kind of like, like alternative, like you know, with a chip on his shoulder, Myers. And the fact that you would go from – and again, I, obviously this is retcon and whatever. But to go from Halloween 2 then <laughs> – in which he's was just clearly a follow up for, and he's been burned and exploded and all that, which is still part of this goddamn story. For him to go very slow in that one to racing around, and he looks like a fucking doofus half the time. Like he has this weird like 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 you're saying like stick up his ass, but he also does something with his head too, where he's just like ooh, like like his head bobbles while he's walking. It's just it looks so stupid. I, I just uh, he's not threatening. He's not menacing. He is. He moves as fast, almost as as fast as the Ghostface Killer. You know, it reminds me of. Um, I think it's Friday the Thirteenth Three, where Jason actually instead of just kind of like he 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 walks with a purpose, mm-hmm. and and it, it just doesn't work for Michael. No. Like, like there, it just doesn't work. There's a, a a handful of sequences that I think are creepy and work and make me feel like Myers, even though it's it, he's strong as hell. Like when he when he's lowering himself from the ceiling. Like that is a creepy moment to me, but uh, I, when you look at that scene again, how high had yeah. he been? To, to, and what was he doing to hide himself in that open hallway? He was like she couldn't see him. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was like lifting him. Pretty, like, in, like I like that scene where he's just kind of lowering himself with one hand. It's it's pretty cool. But which is which is spoiled heavily in like every teasy. I, I just don't know why. Yeah. If you, if you want to go really far back in time, either one reach out to Nick Castle, who was probably directing Big Bully at the time, so he couldn't do it. <laughs> Dick Warlock was still doing stunts mm-hmm. until 2002. I just did some research. Or bring back George Wilbur again. Yeah. And here's another thing. Just keep the fucking mask from part the sixth yes. one. Just keep it. It's, it's superior to what they ended up using. Like, I don't know why they didn't just keep that, that mask. What did they it, end up using? The Curse of Michael Myers mask is throughout that entire Marion sequence. Yes. Well, and then they there's up, some intercuts. There's some intercuts. Shoots, because, yeah. But when she, right. he's do, killing her, do, do guys, when he walks up to the door, like... Uh, I think, Do you guys think though with with Chris Duran, like I, I don't I don't know. I'm not trying to just be like contrarian to it. I, I agree like the circumstances surrounding it, the mask, I think the jumpsuit is way too big in this, like it's very floppy looking. Um 
you know, the, these action scenes that call for him to jump out of trees and leap out of the woods and be fast and all that. I, I don't I don't know. Do you think it's fair to blame him as the performer? I feel like it's more just like how the movie frames Michael Myers. Like, I, I don't necessarily hate him as a just how he inhabits the shape. He does that cool thing where uh, Laurie's running away and he like does the the uh, sitting up and the turning his head. No, I think even that's that like is very... fucked. That, that, really? Oh, yeah. man, I disagree. I think that's like... Rewatch, I think I like rewatch the that sequence, Dan. Because he, he literally is... He's he's face down. And then instead of just getting up, he it, it's it's like he halfway remembered during that scene, like, oh, shit, I'm supposed to do the thing where I lift myself up and then turn my head. I, I, I rewatched it. I was rewatching like... Um, that scene because they had a lot of behind the scenes footage and they just literally just keep using that one sequence filmed like where she runs the door and then tells them to go. They, they have that behind the scenes sequence over and over again. And every time I kept noticing like he he's he has his face down where his ass is up in the air and then he just pum- pummels himself back. <laughs> and then it's like almost I'm telling you, it's like halfway he remembers like, oh, shit, I got to do that head turn. And then he does it. And it just looks so like forced. It doesn't. I'll, I'll just say, listen, I think that. It doesn't matter if it's the director's fault or if it's the actor's fault. It doesn't work. Like, it doesn't matter to me. I don't care if it's if, if he's to blame or if the director or the producers are to blame. I don't think he is a very scary presence. Now, Dad, to be, to be fair, anybody wearing anything that resembles a Michael Myers mask will freak you out. <laughs> no, to be no, fair. It, it is true. It is true. <laughs> but well, I'm, I'm just saying, like, he's, he's not my favorite Michael Myers. I mean, I, I would even say he might... I would even agree, and maybe well, I, don't know, I can't remember who played him in Resurrection. I would agree for the most part, maybe he I, is like the worst if we're ranking them. But it's it's by no means a deal breaker for me, for me from this movie. Like I think he I think he does fine, and I think he does an adequate job, and he's he's a serviceable like Michael Myers in in my eyes. Yeah, it's just rough. Yeah, I I, I just don't. I he's not good. No, <laughs> uh, no, and I think it's that. Fuck you guys. I, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, I see. Where, I see where you're coming from, Dan. It's not a deal breaker for me. I don't think it. It's so much. It pulls me out of the movie so much that I don't feel like he's even Michael Myers at all. But I think having not seen a Michael film and not seen any kind of representation of how he moves or anything like that, or some someone on this fucking set couldn't say. You know, Michael actually moves a little slower. Yeah. You know, someone couldn't have just given him a little direction. So so I don't know if it's this guy's fault. Obviously, you know, 35 stuntman, you know, that's great. I mean, I, hey, if someone came up to me and said, hey, do you want to be on Michael Myers? I would have been like, yeah, that's great because I know the franchise. But I'm sure he was kind of like, oh, yeah, sure. You know, like, I, do I don't you think know. he I, watched the movies like after he got the role? I mean, I would hope he hope he did, but who knows? I don't. Who knows, I, who knows I don't at know. this point? I mean, they could have just you know propped up a VHS because you know had him watch it on the set. You know, here, like, here's a ham sandwich. Go watch the movie for a bit. Look so at 90 the cover minutes. of this VHS for a little bit. My, my, I will argue, and sorry to be a contrarian, Dan, but it is absolutely a deal breaker for me. Oh, wow. I, I, I don't think that he works in any shape or form, no uh, pun intended. Oh, yeah. um, I think the mask is a major detriment to the, to literally almost every sequence in this movie, I agree including, with that. including like key scenes that really do work. Like when you see Carrie and Laurie, like slash Laurie looking out and she's, and it's like a really great sequence where you're just alone with her in her house. And there's like a, he like pops up almost like the ending of the stand in uh in like the window frame and it's that doofus mask where he's like, ooh, like it's just like, and it's not scary. It's just never scary. And like it, for for me, like if the shape it doesn't feel like Michael Myers, uh, or Michael Myers doesn't feel like the shape, that for me is just it doesn't work. And I and I think that's honestly why I I, I look at this film even less than. I mean, it's 
So should we? Well, should well we Matt, talk go about ahead. Mac, let, let Matt go ahead real quick. Oh yeah. Oh, I was just gonna say, can we talk, discuss the mask situation? Okay, so there are six different masks <laughs> used in this <laughs> fucking <laughs> movie. Okay, that is insane. Uh, so yeah. again, we mentioned it at the top. What I think they should have just gone with is a mask I thought worked very well in The Curse of Michael Myers. Okay? You can blame Harvey Weinstein for this also. Yeah, I'm sure we can. We can blame him for a lot of things in <laughs> the last, <laughs> last 30, yeah. 40 years. Um, looks great in the opening sequence when he's walking up to Marion's door, when mm-hmm. he's ending her life. He, scary mask. And I do think the mask plays a huge part, too. Uh, you know, no, no, it I does. Think, I do yeah, think if so. Chris Durand wore a good-looking mask, that's half the problem, right? That's half the problem. Yeah, the look. The mask. It's okay, a, so that's one thing. Look. That's one thing. The second mask we see is what we is what most of the principal photography was actually filmed with. Mm-hmm. If you watch the original teaser trailer to Halloween H two O, it's this very flat. It's been referred to as kind of a an alien looking mask. Looks mm-hmm. like a marshmallow or something. Yeah, really. it's like it's really yeah. like kind of slick back hair. Really, it's even more featureless than before in a way. The, eye, the eyes are really pinched together tight, and there's all this. It's almost like his face is fat, and like the and you see everything his else eyes. is yeah. what you should now, be seeing. And there are a lot of sequences. If you look in the background of, of Michael Myers in a lot of shots, he's wearing that mask. It still you appears can, throughout the movie. You can see it on a few. Um, there are like quick shots of him like bringing a knife down or chasing someone, and yes. it's. Honestly, you don't even have to pause it. Like that's. I mean, it's a mask I, they they picked up at Spencer's yeah. gifts. So then, of course, yeah. And so the third mask is the mask that we see in most of the close-ups of Michael, the one that we're talking about that and, looks bad. And well, that's the oh, yeah, it's funny. Somebody compared it to um, him having Jason Bateman hair. Yeah, that's <laughs> yes, <laughs> from yes, the sweetest thing. I was gonna say it looks like someone gave him a bad haircut. Like it's it's very chopped and kind of like. Like edgy almost, and yeah, but Jason Bateman that's perfect. Yeah, that's it's exactly. On it looks like that. Jason Bateman from Dodgeball. Yes, <laughs> that's no, like no, a no, 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 what the hair reminds me of. All right, so in the beginning of the movie Gremlins, where the Mogwais first pop out and they're just like oh. little balls that are pulsating on the table, like <laughs> the brown fur. That's what the that's what the top of the Michael Myers oh, mask looks like. Well, look, and, it, and, you know, he has a cool haircut. Well, that's hip and there's for also 98. yeah, it's a cool time, bro. <laughs> there's a there's a couple other masks that I'm forgetting, but they're also used for a couple shots that don't work. But the most important one of them uh, all, yes, yeah, yeah, the most devastating one of them all is <laughs> is the CGI mask, <laughs> which is the CGI what? mask when he's about to kill what's his name Charlie uh, Charlie, Charlie. Yeah, Adam Bird. Yeah, yeah. 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 we and it's a massive close up. Yeah, you know you do reshoots, you can't just call. Chris Duran and say, I need you to do one more shot here of you just standing next to somebody? Are they they were that cheap that they decided to go with this glow in the dark CGI Michael Myers mask? Like even it back in nineteen ninety eight it looked awful. It wasn't like mm-hmm. looking back now we're like, oh that's really looking no. fake. It looked awful then. It looks it's like awful. something that would be on yeah, you know on Tim and Eric where they do Grom and it looks yes. like, <laughs> like really bad CGI. Like that's that's what it looks like. It's and was it was the reason they didn't go with the um, the mask from Six? Did they start filming before they thought Six was going to be retcon, and then when they retcon, they felt like they couldn't do it anymore? I can't like, imagine why, why that played a part. Like, no, you no, said no. something about Weinstein's were the. It was it was another thing, just like the score and just like the script and just like everything else in this uh, in this production. Eleventh hour decision where they were like, "I know you guys already started filming, but we don't like the mask. It's just lazy." And so, like, that's why you have a mismatched like mask throughout this whole film where they just change it up it's just what's still astounding to me is that this is the seventh film we've spent six or seven months talking about these movies and what should be the easiest fucking thing to nail down for these movies 
always ends up being the most problematic thing in every one of these films. It's it's not that hard. I mean, I've seen fan films that have better masks than the majority of the films that are in the Halloween franchise. It's it's, it's unbelievable. And there's no like, excuse. Like, there this is, is no a excuse. major studio. This is a studio who's producing this film that's been bankrolling like crazy since Pulp Fiction won Best Picture four years earlier. They, it's not like it's the house that Freddie built, New Line Cinema, <laughs> trying to make a movie. No. They, they're established. They've got the money. It's, make a fucking mask. It's, it's unreal to me that Somehow the leap from being an independent film in 78, where it was just on Trancus International Pictures, to going to Universal, which is a big blockbuster film, big studio, Universal's peak era at the time for the most part, and they still manage to get the mask right because they're like, oh, hey, where's that mask we used three years ago? Get it. You can't just – I mean, what is the – I don't know. It's, just, it's, it's, it's astounding to me. This film, for me, rewatching it, the mask is so distracting that there's just no scares for me in this because it's just like it's coupled with the fact that Chris Durant looks like he's grinning half the time and he moves like he's a ten year old, like a fifteen year old that's like had, that does aerobics. Uh, I, I I can't. Well, the pr- it, it's the, just a mess for me. The problem too, and I mean, I always say this when we talk about the masks. The the one that they did end up using for the majority of the movie, the the gremlin poof hair one. Um, you can see his eyes yes, so well, and that well. is always a bad thing. Even even that shitty alien marshmallow mask that they designed mm-hmm. for the movie and didn't end up using for most of it, at least you can't see his eyes at that. Like I think that is the most important thing with, with when having a Michael Myers mask. Like if you see it a little bit, that's fine. Like in, in the first movie, you can see it. In the second Adam movie was, too. In the second mm-hmm. one, yeah, you can see it a little bit. But like for most of this movie, like we're we're seeing these like wide eyes and mm-hmm. the, as these wide eyebrows mm-hmm. on the mask, it just it makes it look like a cart. Uh, cartoon character looking surprised the entire time i think that's like the main main issue for me yeah why that why this is an issue is is beyond me mike i really don't know uh so i will agree with you on that i think it's ridiculous i think it's 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 as if we're doing it it's as if it's the batman franchise and we have to redo the suit everyone so that it's a cool new edgier no (laughs) this guy isn't going out and picking a new mask every you know what i mean like he's probably wearing the same mask he wore him like 30 years ago you know like I, i don't understand why they felt like they had to do that stuff. So well, that's my well it's, I think it's I telling think that's that what they were doing. Yeah, it was well, like th- they're trying to do these custom masks, like from Don Poster, whoever. Like, cause I don't know. They hide- it's just keep it simple, you know. But I, I will say this: awful. I think the most telling scene is one of the scariest moments of the film is at the rest station, because guess we don't see his mask. It's just her, and she hears a creaking door, and then she looks down, and there's a couple beats, and all of a sudden she sees a hand reach in and grab the purse. And we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we we've been yeah. trained to think she's going to be killed. Yeah, that little girl but she's next not. door. There's yeah. a little girl next door. That's a that's I think that's a pretty effective scene. Actually, you, you see you see the mask for like a split second, yeah, but it's like split through second the door through, and a mirror. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a crack in the door. But then you see that really cool car that they uh, spent a ton of money on. Apparently, this like janky Dumb car Jeep. that oh, looks I like, like it was, the car. The I car love. makes the car is basically is the studio do? like being like, look, the audience has to know Myers is behind this car. Mm-hmm. We have to find a creepy car. The audiences are fucking stupid, which well, I usually it, agree with. But it's bizarre because he had a car already. Well, he and, destroyed and yeah, the maybe, car. Maybe it was, you know, he was maybe he ran out of gas or something, didn't want to get a, a refill. No, he was doing donuts. You know? He was killing time. But it just, that, that, it's so dumb. And, and to think that this woman and this little girl were the original owners of this weird looking, <laughs> like old fashioned 1950s, like, probably like a cool like hipster Jeep family van thing. It's so bizarre. No, it's a stupid Anywho, I, I've known plenty of people who have had weird old cars like that. I, it doesn't bother me. I think the car is creepy. Well, like that. I'm scared. I actually like the first car he drives better though. The, the kind right, of like yeah. muscle car. Thing yeah. From, me too. Just use yeah. that car. 
Maybe it was Mikey's car from a Halloween. No, yeah, Five. it looks like Mikey's car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would have yeah. been cool if he got a Prius. That would have he would have really fit in with LA crowd too. Because what if like, what if when he left Marion Chambers' house in the beginning, he he like gets an ice cream truck? <laughs> Ooh, spooky! You're like, oh, he well, really is just using whatever's available to him. Well, uh, listen, we took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I think we'll be talking about the shape throughout the rest of this episode, but um, we'll be doing it in between or during certain segments. And speaking of certain segments... Let's move on to one of my favorite uh, Alex Chilton songs, <laughs> September Girls. Why are you babysitting tonight? The only reason she babysits is to have oh, a place shit. to... shit. I have a place for that. I forgot my chemistry book. So who cares? I always forget my chemistry book and my math book and my English book and my... So, who's the first September girl we see? Look who's back. Marion Chambers. She's back. Except she's not Marion Chambers anymore. What's she's her name in this? Marion Whittington. Right? She probably got mm-hmm. married or something. Oh, that's good for her. And she probably, probably got divorced. divorced. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because she was she was cheating on her husband with uh with Dr. Lumen. <laughs> <laughs> Great so, to see her back. Uh Marion Chambers. What's the actress's name again? Nancy Stevens. Nancy Stevens, who ended up marrying Rick Rosenthal, the director of Halloween too. And no joke, they both have been they both became producers and produced that tremendous Mr. Rogers documentary. Love it. So we could be seeing them on the Academy Awards winning an Academy Awards. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. Um, She she wins an Academy Award for that and like accepts she accepts it and she's like she's like, also I just want to say, uh, Michael, I'm really mad at what you did to me in H two O. Here's the other thing I thought about too. For a film that's assigned to be its own thing and not reference other movies. We're going to bring back somebody who was in three minutes of Halloween and then the 20th most important character of Halloween 2 into this movie. Like, I don't understand why you're going to do that, but then to just be so easy to dismiss the other sequels. I would, I would say only because she is the link to the whole sister storyline in Halloween 2. She comes to the True. school and knows it before Loomis does. She has like a direct tie of that. So if, there were, if anyone is going to have the files with... I mean, I guess we have to presume that Smithgrove is now defunct um, because it is in like Halloween Six. So maybe they're still going off of that logic. But I think that's the only, I think that's the biggest reason why they brought her back is because she is the one that delivers the news in two. And don't get me wrong, I'm happy she's in it. Oh, I'm I love I, that she's the opening it. sequence for yeah. me is the best sequence of the entire movie. Mm-hmm. Um, she's a, she's a chain smoker now. She was a smoker was in a the first one. That's why she had the, re- the Oh, you're right. Because in the second one, she's smoking at the school, too, when you see like the guy uh, mopping the floor in the background. I think it was so jarring to me is that you just don't see smoking very much in movies anymore. No. So for her to just be casually smoking. I love her line to uh, the Sprite kid when she, he's just like, hey, didn't, you ever, did anyone tell you that secondhand smoke killed? And he's like, yeah, well, they're all dead. They're like, all dead. Great. Great attitude. Love you, Marion. I was happy to see her back. Sad to see her go. I was it's too. A savvy story move. I would not have minded if they kept her out. Like maybe if she didn't die and had to go and warn them or something. You know, I don't know. I would not have minded. That would have been really character. great, actually. Mm-hmm. You can make her the new Doctor Loomis, essentially. It could have been cool. Oh, that'd be, I'd be down know? for that. It'd be awesome. A little and bit she, fun. And she's actually like really, really solid in this. Like yeah. a lot of times when they bring back, you know, random cast members from the past, 
I'm thinking of Karen Allen and uh, Indiana Jones and the Christ- the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Mm-hmm. It's just very like uh, they didn't really get the they didn't fill in the shoes again. Yeah, she does. She does. She absolutely has that attitude. We don't really find out exactly. I mean, I assume that she's still a nurse because she's wearing kind of a nurse outfit in this. So she's still yeah. working in the medical, you know, mm-hmm. field. I loved her in this. She's actually the one. I mean, we'll go into deaths later, but um, yeah, I, I thought that in terms of like getting back to the original characters, this is a hot take, but I'd say Nancy Stevens uh, finds her old self more than even Jamie Lee Curtis does. For mm, it's a hot take. I think. It is a hot take, but we'll I'm get into that later on. Uh, anyway, Mac, any thoughts on Marion Chambers in the sequence? I really dig having her come back, you know, it, as a just a little residue of connective tissue. I think it also gives, it, it was a really, really easy way to have these detectives say, oh, well, she was doing this and this is what happened to Donald Pleasant's character. And mm-hmm. this is how, you know, Michael found out where Lori is. Um, so I, I don't mind it. And, um, I, I'm I'm just you know I'm a big fan of her and I love her in those first two films so it was fun having her come back I I, I dug it I dug her her death seems like brutal too it was brutal Dan final thoughts on Nancy Stevens the actress Nancy uh, for a second I was I thought you were gonna say Nancy Loomis I was like wait why are we talking about her um, so confusing yeah, names I, in these movies I I like I I like how she has a very badass quality to her she fights back I mean I know she gets her throat slit which sucks but like she fights back in a way that's yeah. really scrappy and mm-hmm. I think kind of marries that um this new 1990s fest Halloween movie with like, you know, it, with like the old school sensibility, like like she pops up from the couch with a fire poker. That mm-hmm. seems just very much in line with it. So yeah, I love her. I, uh, I wish she didn't die so soon. But, it, and I agree. That is even liking the movie. That is my favorite sequence in the movie. Doesn't it drive you nuts when she, she breaks the window and it, it's just like, you know, that she, that he, she, she knows that he's grabbed her already yeah. And instead of turning around again, she still screams. I just like, oh my, it kills me every time I watch it. It's the one scene actually in the whole movie where I'm like literally like like frantic. Yeah. Being like, just turn the fuck around again. Like, no, he's going to. <laughs> it's a really, really like, good. Yeah. Pre- it's a great pre-credit sequence. Yes. It's really, there's really good. Yeah. Dopey cops just like don't notice. Uh, it's, it's like she's like behind them, like pounding the window and stuff. And they're just sort of investigating. It, it's, it's tragic. I love it. It's uh, yeah. I, I, like I said, I, I will say that I think that's the, the finest sequence of the movie. Oh, Let's move on to the uh, another elder actress who appears in this movie briefly. It's the second and final time that she would be appearing with her daughter. Do you remember the? Does anybody? Oh, I'm sorry. The third and final time she'd be re- appearing with her daughter on the screen. Janet Lee mm-hmm. as Norma, the secretary of Hillcrest Academy. Very funny. A lot of in jokes going on here. Of course, Norma as in Norma Bates, mm-hmm. which a film in which she appeared. Psycho. She mentions the clogging of the girls' shower. Yes, Which very funny. Of, she's got she's got Marion Chambers, Marion Chambers again, Marion Crane's car. Mm-hmm. She drives off in at the end with a little hint of the psycho music. Mm-hmm. I actually want Mac to take this because, believe it or not, I actually really, really enjoy all that stuff with Janet Lee. I do too. But Mac, you're not a big fan. If you know, I don't know why you guys are giving this a pass. Like, if this happened in any movie today, it pulls you so far out of the fucking movie. <laughs> it is. <laughs> but this nuts. is what I'm talking about. And I know it, it's her daughter, and I. I like that. It is fun to see her in it, but we didn't need. You don't need the goddamn psycho score reprised in the middle of the. It's just so weird to do this. It has nothing to do except for the fact that it's her mom. I don't. I don't think it adds to the movie. I. 
I like her showing up. I wish, again, I wish this was more about the adults. I wish she was in a little bit more of the movie. I wish she got killed by Michael. I thought that would be a cool way to do it. And you can even have her killed in the shower <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. You could do something funny like that. But it's just, it's so on the nose. And, like, again, like, as a horror fan, I chuckle. I, I And I'm like, that's funny. That's kind of fun. But really, I don't Listen, really we're going back to the era in which it came out. Yeah. Because think about it. Two years earlier, in Scream, Wes Craven is literally playing a janitor named Freddy in a full switch. So that's what I'm saying. So we, that that the movie my, is 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 that is what that movie is. And it's so a is this though. On horror films, this is not a commentary on horror films. It's just one movie twenty years later, Wait. which. Norma Bates has nothing to do with you know what I mean. Wait like, a second, that is Wes Craven as the janitor. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. my yeah. Where he's like, god. The makeup. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I that know is ridiculous. So I, I know. I, I, I mean, it's easily it's forgivable for me. It's, it's, forgivable. it's it's forgivable, but I agree in the sense that like it does like they go a little over the top with it. Had they like because the rapport that they have in the office, wonderful. Yeah. You could have played it a little bit more. I think the swell is a little bit much. Well, yeah, it's but, really the swell. I yeah. Think oh, come if, on. I, I, I'm Dan, fine I, with it. Dan, we're finally on the same page. Listen, you guys talk about uh, Michael Myers having a stick up his ass in this movie. I think you guys. Whoa! Hey, why, why, why don't you bring hey, back hey, the Keystone hey, Cops? Hey, while hey, you're hey, don't mess with Texas. Wait a second. I want to hear Dan. I want to hear what Dan thinks about this. No, I just. I mean, I'm with Justin. I just think it's like a. I, I think. In 1998, when Easter eggs were not as much of a thing, and I, I still exactly. think it's subtle enough. I don't feel like I don't feel like most people are like the Freddy thing is so obvious, you know. And and I will give you credit, like it it isn't a movie that's more about having metafictional commentary on, on horror movies. With this, I think the Psycho Swell, even with Psycho being as famous as as it is, with the Swell and the car, I feel like most people won't even notice. It's not like she it's not like she's going like, well, I'm gonna go take a shower now. You know, I I, I don't know. Yeah, I think it's, again, uh, if it was just her walking to the car and saying bye or like that's fine. But it I just to me it was just the swell was a little bit much. Well, and and again, if you're not a horror fan, why are you watching this movie? But if you're not a horror fan, why you know, you're not going to pick up on that. So I understand that. I give it a pass in the sense of just a casual horror fan. But if you're a casual horror fan watching H2O, you're not going to like the movie anyways, probably. True, but if you also go back to the original one, it is kind of like a nice little circle back to Carpenter's clear homages to Psycho. I mean, Sam Loomis. Like, Sam, Sam Loomis. Loomis is named after a Psycho yeah. cat. Yeah. yeah. And he cast Jamie Lee Curtis in large part because of, because of Jan Lee yeah. in Psycho. So, yeah. uh, again, uh, it's very nice. And this is... Well, I should say this. The first time... Jan Lee appeared with Jamie Lee Curtis was the Love Boat. Yep. This is back when Jamie Lee Curtis could still not get roles after Halloween for some really? reason. Yeah. Well, I, and then they appeared again in John Carpenter's The Fog. Which is being uh, re-released soon. In theaters, apparently. Can't wait. Yeah. Well, um, so those are the... So Jan Lee died, I think, six years later. So for me, this is a very nice screen exit for her. Right. And, and again, as a horror fan, yeah. if I'm just looking at that scene itself as like kind of like a goodbye to her... That's like what they would show, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it would Agreed. be like that little last moment with that swell. I like that. I think they might have actually at the Academy Awards. I think they might have shown like some sequences from her 50s, 60s work. And then I think it might end with her that. saying goodbye to Jamie Lee Curtis. No, what would be kind of cool is if this new Halloween that comes out, like however the movie ends, they're like, well, oh man, who can defeat Michael Myers? And then they, they go into they, they go into this house and they open a door and it's like a CGI Janet Lee and like she like turns <laughs> she like turns to the turns to the camera and this we're like, hope. all right. Oh <laughs> no no no, hope. she she has a shotgun and she's holding it and she like blows Michael away and it's just like the ending of frequency. 
Um, <laughs> with Dennis Quaid. Okay, well, hold on. We're, we're now. We're, I'm not going down the frequency <laughs> rabbit hole. Okay, we'll but either, the rest of, we'll two more hours. I will say one little fun tidbit uh, on this very small scene with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis and um, and her mother. In the commentary, when Jamie Lee's watching it, there's a part where you know Norma drives away, and then Jamie Lee Cur- or Lori in the movie like turns around and then walks away. Jamie Lee Curtis like comments is like, "Ooh, baby's got back." Or uh. <laughs> oh, something else though. In that sequence, it's a callback to the Sheriff Brackett scene mm-hmm. because they bump into each other. Uh, Lori, aka Carrie, whatever the fuck, yeah. Carrie Tate, she gets startled. And Norma actually says to her, everybody's entitled to one good scare. Yeah. And she's yeah. like, like Brackett says to her. I've had first my share. Um, and so, I guess it, like, oh, I want to say this too. Yeah. This movie is chock full of references and paying homage to the original Halloween. Yes. Keep that in mind when yeah. I go on my 2018 Halloween digression later on. Anyway. Just be glad that some of Jamie Lee Curtis's ideas for other homages didn't get in. Like she had mentioned that they actually, and you want to talk about a really bad uh, homage or uh, something they take you out of the movie. They actually contacted Mike Myers. I know to make a cameo on the streets of Summer Glen when they're in the town, and she was going to do a double take. Yep, and which he, he is was going to walk by because he was contacted for the last movie too. Oh, I mean, was he really? Yeah. Also, on, in that that Entertainment Weekly issue that you're mentioning, on the cover of it, they have Jamie Lee Curtis and Michelle Williams, and then at the top it says. Yeah, baby, we got information on the Austin Powers sequel or something. Oh, that's funny. So, that's like, pretty funny. Yeah, well, yeah. and the, the, having the so I married an axe murder, and that's funny. And yeah. then the, the, just the, you know Michael Myers and Mike Myers, that's funny. But that's all you need. You didn't need a, the yeah, double take. Yeah, exactly. The pigeon double take. Oh my god, that would have been awful. Okay, well let's move on to the next character. Character in quotation marks, Sarah, played by Julie Lynn O'Keefe. Now Julie Lynn O'Keefe at this point had been somewhat famous for playing. Nash Bridges' daughter mm-hmm. on the show yeah. Nash Bridges. She would go on to appear in many teen films. She was, I believe, in Whatever It Takes. Yeah. Uh, a number of other features that are totally escaping me. She's, she's, all, that. she's, she's all, all that. She's all that. Yeah, so yeah. she had become kind of like a, you know, the Kevin Williamson-esque a female lead in, she was in another world. a number of movies. Mm-hmm. Um, here's something I'd like to say right now. And I say this to somebody who has been pretty nerdy his entire life, so I don't feel that bad. There is absolutely no reality in which that character Sarah would be with Charlie, none, uh, <laughs> none. You don't, I don't think know, so? None. Uh, none. Like, no. There said, is no I, I reality. Know. Wait, not even. Not until that girls episode with Patrick Wilson and. Um, <laughs> not until that episode. I was like, there's no way these characters would be together. No. It, it took about 15 years, but uh, anyway. Not even in the Jumanji universe. <laughs> Especially in the Jumanji universe. There's no way. It's just I, I didn't. You want to talk about unbelievable moments. That's th- This relationship here takes me out of the movie more than anything else takes me out of the movie. <laughs> the, the thing that takes me out of this is uh, the dialogue that she has to do where I guess her quirky take is that she just is like very stream of consciousness with like what her what she says. I don't know what she says half the time during this movie. Like there's a part where he like like Charlie comes over and he's like we could have a roaming orgy and then she's like oh it's romantic I'm like what did you just say like and then she there's other ones where she's like she's like I've been to Yosemite like two years ago awful and she just keeps going through words and I was like this is Kevin Williams's like characterization for this person she's just gonna keep spewing like words well, she it's- seems the most Kevin Williamson-esque yeah, of, yes. of all the characters um, and then the char- we'll talk about Charlie later on her death is would... pretty brutal, though. Her oh. death is pretty brutal yeah. with the um, the dumb waiter, and then Michael just walking up and and 
repeatedly stabbing her. Yeah, that's I, pretty effective. Dan, what were you gonna say real quick? Well, I was gonna say I feel like the Halloween franchise, um, probably not since Halloween two. I feel like the movie kind of always fails like the supporting female friend character. I just mm-hmm, feel like yeah. they're always kind of milk toast, you know, in the movie, like her and even in six, which I love, like you have the uh, what's what's the brother's girlfriend's name? I, I can't remember her. Pretty, the girl is on the cover. Called Beth. Yeah, the girl is on the cover of Alice in Chains Dirt. Like I, I, I feel like the movie, they, like they, they, they have a lot of times they have really good like women protagonists. Like Rachel is great, and um, even even Jamie and everything. But I just feel like whenever they they always have to add one more teen in there, and like it's it, it's never as memorable as uh, PJ Souls or Nancy Loomis. You know, I don't know. It's just I feel like the movie like just the movies do not get that right. Like, and they haven't gotten it right since two, probably. I mean, she just seems very like unmemorable to me. You know, it's funny too. Cause if you go back and you think about Halloween, like I wonder audiences then if they were like, Oh, that those characters are unbelievable. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. we only know that and that from that time and from, you know, like, so we just buy it, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they were unbelievable too. However, this character is not very good. I don't, <laughs> uh, I do agree with Justin though. I think her, her death is brutal. Mm-hmm. Ugh, yeah. I, I when when her leg gets caught in the in the dumbwaiter, it, that is is gruesome. And I didn't. I thought that it worked because usually I'm not all about like Michael being a gruesome death killer. You know what I mean? Like some of the stuff that we're seeing from this new one with like the head with the you know fried out eyes or whatever. Like this is just th- this is a situational thing. And it yeah. also kind of it was a nice little throwback. I thought to Halloween Five, where you know Jamie's uh, Lloyd is caught in the the. Uh, the air ducts, yeah, thing, and yeah. then she gets stabbed in the leg. So I, I kind of thought that that was no, like, like the, cool. the dumbwaiter sequence is great. Yeah. I yeah. I will say it was really cool when um, Ghostface like cuts the Ooh, um, the, the rope and all, and uh, the, the the cuts that they <laughs> use there, which look exactly like something out of Scream. But the 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 brutality of this death is insane and i always wonder and this is kind of like the gauge with the is the shoe is the the foot still in the shoe was her leg cut off I, there's no, a quick shot was, where it's it like cut bad enough where like it was kind of broken dangling, and dangling. Oh, it's no. like two oh, still oh, hanging there yeah, yeah. oh Ugh. so really quickly i was so, this is something i wanted to bring up because now we're talking about this character's death when michelle michelle williams and Molly. josh hartnett john john Find the body mm-hmm. that they don't. They haven't seen the other body yet, right? In the dumbwaiter, they didn't see. No, they don't ever see the dumbwaiter. They don't ever so, see him. Only so she does. See Charlie. Yeah. So they go down to explore, and they see her hanging there. As kids, and it's Halloween, and you've never experienced anything like this before. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? Initially, be scared and jump, maybe. But wouldn't you investigate to see if it was a prank? Would you really think that she well, was actually Well, I think what happens if you watch there? it close is when they turn on the light, I think she starts to kind of be electrocuted she does, as well. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. So, but I I I think that always kind of trouble I was like, well, wouldn't like I like to me I was like, oh, wouldn't they like investigate a little bit more before like running? And then I guess Michael pops up pretty quickly so he does, that, yeah. and that's good. Otherwise, it's just like, well, wouldn't you go back well, and like, take can... a closer look to see if they you know, I, I don't know. I just think because I mean, that's an elaborate fucking prank, but you know, but I wouldn't put it past this no, I agree. people who have set up this whole thing for the weekend to be like this this, you know, thing. I do love that they find the body similar to like the first one where they you know where laurie does kind of stumble yeah i don't mind that, at all but these body revelations agree, there is like a weird like immediate like like that but i think it is because of the explosion that happens with the light yeah, yeah. and then michael immediately comes in also her leg is dangling still mm-hmm. oh that's true yeah. you know like it's still like she's a bloody mess on there 
And I think John already has like kind of odd suspicions because he starts like when they before they go into the the window, he turns around and he hears something, and he kind of like is like, and they're like, "Hey, come on, come on, let's go, let's go, let's go." And he still he just lingers around, and I think yeah. he even has suspicions like, "Oh God, what if my mom's right? Like, what if she? Mm-hmm. What if he is going? Like, yeah. I think he actually we'll, is scared." We'll talk about him. Yeah, in positive detail. Yeah. I do think it would be cool if when when like in that scene where Michael prepares the bodies. What if they had Creed? What's his life for? Like playing on loop. What if you see Michael still holding the knife? Like push the knife into the, the CD player and just like to push play on what's his life for? Well, that's originally um, the the opening of your next was supposed to use that song as an homage to H two O. Oh, nice. Awesome. Okay, well, listen. Let's let's move on to the character of Molly, played by future Academy Award nominee. She hasn't won yet, right? No. Michelle uh, Williams. Michelle Williams, of course. Dawson's Creek. Mm-hmm. Dawson's Creek royalty. Dawson's and Creek species. royalty. She's an opening of species. <laughs> she's she's the young version of Natasha Hinstridge of mm-hmm. Species. Is she really? Yeah, yeah. she is. I, I didn't know that. A uh, fun fact, she later um, sired Heath Ledger's daughter. Um, Very true. <laughs> the late Heath Ledger. Sired. sired. I think sired. the guy is the sire. I think, I think siring is the, is the man. I, I Dan, it's a new era. Um, <laughs> That's true. Gender is dead. So she is basically the new Lori. It's 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 confusing. The, is is she the new Lori, or is she just the to... girlfriend? Because for instance, there's a blatant enough, homage of her in class yep. talking about Frankenstein, but it's all questions of fate, of fate, and Frankenstein's monster returning. And she looks out the window and she sees Michael there, much <laughs> like Lori did With in the original Halloween. Mask. But then after that, there's just a lot of reacting to things. There's not a lot of character no. going on with her at all. You get the idea that she comes from like a hard family because she there the first time you you actually meet her is when she's talking to director Steve Miner mm. in a cameo and he's like you know you can't you can't go on this trip you can't go and she's like all right I'm I'm not going on the trip and she's like talking about how she had like financial aid issues she's yeah. the only the one she's the only one really working like she's like cleaning stuff she does like the wait staff and everything that's why she knows where all the food is and everything mm-hmm. and uh Jody Leno keeps character oh, has yeah. that wonderful tangent about how she like wants to eat a lot and I actually kind of like the reporter there but um but there was but she, yeah you you get a you get like all these little tidbits about her and then they just abandon her weird it's, like it is really strange. I don't know if it was supposed to be like I think it was supposed to be a mislead because you, you haven't found out yet that he's there for John because of the 17 connection. Mm-hmm. So I think you're supposed to think that he's there to stalk her. Well, and obviously Lori, but I think that th- that in terms of like who the real target is kind of thing or why he's come back kind, yeah, of, kind of idea. Except that like so why would he even be looking in the window? Like at her, I mean, what 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 even connection does he have? I mean, because in like Halloween, by that well, point, I think it's because Laurie's in that room. She's teaching that, so he's watching room. the class. He's watching her. Sense. I just okay. think that Michelle that Williams happens. To yeah, that makes her. sense. All right, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with her, it's she's good in the movie. I mean, I've always thought Michelle yeah. Williams is a really good actress, but yeah. and, and I don't, I don't hate what they have her do in the movie. I just wish there was more. I mean, we get. Yeah. I feel like we get such an idea of. Um, Adam Arkin's character even, you know, like Mm -hmm. he feels very fleshed out to me. And with her, it goes back to the thing you guys are saying about when they focus on the kids, I just feel like they're putting their energy into the wrong places. They're putting their energy into this supposedly witty dialogue rather than genuine character development and, and showing us what their personalities are really like. And so that's my only issue with her. I just wish we got a little bit more of it before she just becomes another uh, potential straw person in Michael Myers rampage. uh, Again, it's complicated. I I keep bemoaning this, but 
it's Scream, and we're supposed mm-hmm. to be following teenagers around the entire time. But this movie is supposed to be focused on a late 30s person dealing with what happened to her in her teens who's dating somebody that looks like he's probably in his 40s. It's hard. It would be like saying, we're going to spend half of Scream with Sydney's father. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's tough to figure well, out. That I think that's really a big tonal that. issue, though. Yeah. Instead yeah. of just doubling down and making yeah. this all about, about Lori and her boyfriend and John and maybe maybe Molly. But, and, yeah. Which I, think, I feel like they are finally doing with this 2018 version. It looks like it's going to be very adult-driven. But, but who knows? But like with Molly, like that could have you could have just looped it around, like had that been like Adam Arkin's daughter, and then had scenes with them, were fleshing them out more, and her, or something like that. I mean, that seems kind of ridiculous, but it make, it would make sense. Yeah, but yeah, you know, they'd be going yeah. to the same school. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't mind like where her characterization is. It just seems like you set her up for nothing. I mean, she doesn't. I mean, she has that one really key sequence where she hits Michael and is like, Rah! like in like the rock with the rock, yeah. with the rock. and then they go. In a car. And then they're gone. But see, what's like, funny is very Halloween 6 that they're like in the car and then they yeah. leave. Yeah. And, that's and we like, never see them again. No. <laughs> that's it's, crazy. Like, it's like if you ever have someone... Uh, sorry, what, uh, what, Dan? When I, I do, I I do kind of like that it's like, all right, let's just clear the cast for the, the finale. Like, I kind of like that they don't get killed and they just get to go away in a car. I don't know. I, someone deserves a happy but ending. Well, they, they come back because at the very end, when before she steals the ambulance, they're, they're there just like hanging out. You know, well, because they, they, like, probably, got leave, the, they probably got the police at that point yeah, and it's over. Okay, anyway. I think it's time now to move on to Carrie Tate, a.k.a. Laurie Strode. There's oh, a yeah. lot to talk about here. Well, let's talk here. about her being back in the franchise, which is such a huge deal. And, Mike, you, you're, I, I was really looking at this with a fine eye because when, you, when I learned recently that she was disappointed with H2O and she kind of discredits it now, I do think she gives actually a really good performance here. I think especially those scenes with Alan Arkin, she's really good. I think when she's... Yelling at John, she's really good. I don't know. I think uh, no, I think good. I think she's I think she's great yeah. in this as a Jamie Lee Curtis performance. I don't see her as Laurie Strode. There are a couple moments where she kind of like looks at John and longingly. It reminds me of the scene where Laurie is looking down the street in the original Halloween when the when she thinks she hears kids. Yeah. There there are moments and, of it, yeah, you know, like yeah. In, in glimpses. But for the most part, I I get the point. I get the sense that she is very dysfunctional, which I like, which yeah. is what she was trying to like, you know, really aim for in this. But there's such a, you know, the last time we see Lori, she's broken, you know, fractured, like just really shaken. I mean, she can't even really talk in Halloween too. And now yeah. we see her here, and to me, you know, back in '98. Didn't even think about it. I was like, all right, yeah, Laurie Strode, here we go. But in hindsight, you know, now that I'm a little older, a little wiser, uh, to paraphrase this, Mike Myers in uh, Wayne's World, uh, Wayne's World 2, okay. I, uh, I just feel she's Jamie Lee Curtis here. Like, I feel like she's like Helen Trasker at the end of Helen, at, like True Lies or something like that. She's got like this edge to her. She's very like, um, she's cutthroat in ways. Like, she doesn't, you know, she's very like domineering over, like, very protective over John. But I would be, I would be too, though. Yeah, but it just had it, all this stuff happen. No, and I and I agree. I just think that the the way that she has like an attitude that's very like '90s Jamie Lee Curtis. Like it just it just doesn't seem as like she has that sort of like timidity that she had as Laurie Strode, which I'm actually kind of seeing in these new trailers. Like well, how? where because because she trailers, seems so sheltered in this new trailer. Like she seems so not. removed. She's like she's been like spending 20 years getting ready to like kick some ass. So I like it's like almost completely opposite 40 years. of like being well 40 years. Was. But it, well, it, I think it, my, the way I look at it yeah, is because 40. I'm older is that I don't think I'm anything like I was when I was 17. I think my attitude is totally different. And mm-hmm. I think 
if you experience something like that in one night, that could also change your entire worldview. So I was fine. It wasn't like, for instance, if she was uh, 30 in the first Halloween movie and then she's 50 in the second Halloween movie. I would be a little more. It would be a little more jarring in terms of the yeah. character development and why she would be acting differently. But I buy that something that happens to you when you're a teenager can affect your demeanor going forward and how you react to certain things, and then just becoming an adult on top of that. That's why it didn't really bother me as much. I guess I, I, this I isn't see... like like you said earlier with Karen Allen coming back to um. No, it's to, not to like her... that. It's not like that at Marianne. all. I, I mean, there are definitely moments where she is clearly like Laurie Strode, and I think she nails a lot of the stuff when she's reacting to Michael and when she's yeah. on her own. It's more so like. The interactions with like this, with the, the kids, like even like her her sort of demeanor when she's like talking to you know the the, the people on the phone or when she's like the headmistress like, or the headmistress, like for me it just seems as if like she's just being like the very sort of like just direct, um, very cutthroat Jamie Lee Curtis. Like okay, I just for, yeah, it just doesn't yeah. seem like Laurie yeah. Strode to me. Dan, and, what, what do you think? Um, it's. I really love her performance in this. I'm fine with her being different, uh, you know, 20 years later as a middle-aged woman than, um, you know, when she's a teenager. Uh, I talked about this a little bit before. It's, I think her comments about H2O and her sort of heel turn on it and how she's trashing it now and all this other stuff. I, I know it shouldn't, but it makes me, <laughs> it does kind of make me make it harder to appreciate her performance in H2O because mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, well, you know, according to her, she just did it for money now. I'm like, this was all bullshit and this is a lie. And I, I don't know. I know that shouldn't like inform my opinion of it because I do think she's great in it. It just seems, it, it's like you, you just watch it through a different lens when that happens. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of my thought. On, I don't know. Do you guys feel the same way at all? Well, just you, like these interviews and stuff she's been doing. That reminds me like her, her take now on it and, and like, you know, being all about it back in 98 or even like you listen to the commentary and she was apparently still very, gung-ho about the experience right and yeah. that was only a few years ago and that was four years, and so, yeah, but what, the point i want to make is this reminds me of the last 15 years of ryan adams album rollouts where every time an album comes out <laughs> he true, says this is the best thing i've ever done this is this is my, these are my this is my favorite band i've ever worked with and then by the time the next album comes around he's like oh you know all the other albums i've done before this are garbage this is the best you know it's one of those lame unbelievable yeah. so, and, even, and so, so what i'm saying is now why should we believe anything she has to say about this new Halloween film for 2018 if she's literally giving the same lip service she was giving the 1998 film that she's dismissing? Exactly. And I, and I know she's great and everything, and fans love her, and I'm sure she's wonderful, and I I, I love following her Instagram. Oh, yeah, yeah. All that. But, and, and, like, I think she's great in all these movies, but I, it's... And I, I don't know, I've, I've always... That's where, like, the, all this constant retconning just starts to feel really irresponsible for to me because then it just plays into, like the superficiality of Hollywood and doing things for money. And it's like, if this movie in 10, this one that comes out, if in 10 years it looks, it, it hasn't aged well, I'm like, oh, you're going to be like, oh, I did that as a favor to my godson, but this is the real Halloween movie coming out, you know? And I just, it's like, like I said, I know that doesn't really have anything to do with the performance. I still think she gave her all in this movie. It was, I think she's great in it, but like, it's just, it's a very strange experience watching all these sequels now given all this news we're getting about the new one. And I, and I, I think you could do the new one and still like have it retconned and ignore the sequels and all that while still kind of honoring, honoring them a little bit. Like, I feel like, I feel like when, whenever she talks about the, the, these past sequels, she just shits all over them every chance she gets. But then it's like, Oh, by the way, we're really excited to have, uh, 
all these actors at these conventions. Like it just, it's just it's very like, well, I, Yeah, it's weird. I, don't I, know. I think one of the problems that I'm having that now is that look, Jamie Lee Curtis is essential to this franchise. Yeah, I'm not going to say that she's not. Unlike any other franchise, yes, she's the. I would agree character. with that. Yeah, but sure. at the same time, it's not all about Laurie Strode, and and honestly, like it's 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 really like it's it's kind of weird to think that some of the more pivotal movies continually are built around her character. Yeah. And, and like, so the thing that's confusing about this new one is that I guess because of Halloween two and the way that they were linked together from brother and sister, it has to be, you know, Halloween H2O makes sense because there's this sort of, you know, like sibling sort of link that you have there. So her story as Laurie absolutely makes sense. You know, great. She's going to conquer her fears. She's going to come around and go from being this dysfunctional alcoholic, uh, which I think she does really great in this movie. Mm. Um, especially, and I'll go into some of the more personal things about this that really connected with me in this movie. But, um, but so that that transition, that story, that makes sense. There's demons. There's inner demons with that. I like that. The thing that I I, I have a problem now with the, this new one is that so you're going you're going back and you're dismissing the fact that they are brother and sister. So in a in a way, Lori seems absolutely irrelevant at this point and you've already told the story where she conquers her own demons. Well, look, and it's far more impacting because of the fact that she had that sort of that sort of familial imbalance and stuff because family is I mean, when you have demons from that that come from the family like there's nothing more personal than that. And like, so I get that that story. So like to come back and do this again, not only seems to just sort of derail the momentum and the, the sort of narrative that you were really championing with H2O and the reasoning for it just doesn't seem to be there anymore. Okay. That's perfect for what I want to talk about. Yeah. Like, okay. So I, I, there's five points I want to make about the last 30 minutes of this movie. Mm-hmm. By the way, I think the last 25 minutes are actually pretty good. It's good. It I becomes like good. an action movie, but um, you know. Yeah, but um, okay, here we go. The moment that she comes face to face with Michael, right? She sees him. Mm-hmm. She goes down, reaches for a gun, and takes it out. Okay, so she's, she's self sufficient. Yeah, she's probably been preparing for this too in one way or the other because she thinks that Michael is still out there, right? Yeah, she hates she's tough. She's loaded. She's, she's tough. She's got a gun. She's ready to go. Mm-hmm. When she sends John and Molly away and just starts screaming and she's got that axe and the shot. Yeah. It's a great that's a great shot by Steve Meyer, by the way. Best shot Holding of the, the axe and just starts screaming her head off for Michael. Yeah. I'm gonna fucking kill this guy. Great moment, right? A powerful moment. She's taking ownership. She's gonna have her revenge. She tricks Michael at the end and then just stabs him repeatedly and goes in for that final stab before we haven't talked about him yet. Ella Cool just shows up and takes her away. And even then, she's still like, I'm going to mm-hmm. fucking, I'm still going to, I want to stab this guy until I can't move my arm anymore. And then they cut to the worst shot of the movie. Where... And then, yeah. And then the end, when she chops his head off and just stands there like, I fucking did it. I won. Mm-hmm. Why are we doing this for 20 20- Exactly. We, we, we did everything that they're talking about for this new movie. She had a revenge. She was a fucking badass about it. She was resilient. She wasn't weak at all in Halloween H2O at all. So... Why are we doing this? And, and my biggest fear about this new one, and, and one of the things I will credit H2O in being, is that there is the transition of her having to go from being scared, 
which I wish they leaned a little bit more on H2O, especially when he does arrive again, uh, because when she's rattled with when she makes that realization with the birthday card, I wish that they would have leaned more on her being a little bit more chaotic. Like, you know, I look, I lived with an alcoholic for 20 something years or whatever, and I know when, you know, when there's like frantic moments, you're going to get, I mean, they're they also just drinking liquor nonstop and stuff. So I kind of wish that there was a little bit more of like a, a frazzledness mm. to, to, to her thing as, a per, to go, uh, as opposed to going like immediately into the stony demeanor that she goes into. But I um, think the only reason she does do that is because her, her boy's threatened. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah, too. which so is so great. It's like, it's like, instincts so, yes. kick in. But, but the, so, so back to my point in that way, I, I do like about each show is that it stays as a horror movie for the majority of the time because you have to see her as coming over to that arc. She has to go over that hurdle. She has to conquer her demons. With this new one, and I think this is something we discussed also, Mac, and you could definitely embellish, like you know, go off on this too. You're immediately going to start off with her going like, I'm ready, I'm going to conquer this. It's going to be an action movie. Like It's not even going to be... like I don't know how you make a horror movie out of that. I really don't because if you have someone that's absolutely going to be ready... And has all the guns, all the artillery, and all this. Like, how is that more of an effective movie well, at she, this point? Yeah, Dan, like, sorry, get, no, go for well, it. Well, she has she has said, and, and and you know, who knows? Anything could happen with a new movie. Jamie Lee Curtis has said that in this new movie, although she's prepared, she's prepared as much as she can as Laurie Strode. So I, I mean, I don't know if the trailers are saying this story necessarily. I don't know if she's going to be like. Rambo or something, you know what I mean? I feel like it's they're still going to present her as being a pretty mortal human who, and, and, you know, a woman in her 60s also, who, like, is having a hard time going up against Michael Myers. That, that's just what I've heard. I don't know if that's how it'll be or not, but, yeah. yeah. Again, I, this, is all, this is all speculation. Yeah. But I'm just saying. Matt. No, I agree with you guys. I don't, I, it, for the reasons why they're saying they're doing this new movie, I think, uh, you know, don't, you don't have to explain it. Just, you're doing another Halloween movie. But to say that you're doing it because you haven't done this before, that doesn't make sense. Because Absolutely you have done it true. before. Yeah, it's, it's, not. it's not necessarily a great flick. I don't love H2O. There's parts in it that work. But you did it before. Mm-hmm. You know, you did it before. And she is, she's a strong character in this. And she's a badass in yeah. this. I mean, she is scared and, and clearly shaken and has these nightmares, these terrors. So, I mean, as anyone would if they were in that situation. But she does overcome that, and when it's game time, she's ready. And and that yeah, that last sequence when she chops his head off and that music kicks in, I, I can't remember feeling more satisfied in a, in a movie uh, when I saw it. You know, mm-hmm. so yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't I I think it's it does a disservice to the franchise of this film saying like oh well you know we're gonna ignore all this and we didn't we didn't get to do this and this is now we're gonna do what we wanted to do with this with this idea with Laurie. I'm definitely interested in seeing what they do, obviously, but I I don't think... I think it's kind of dumb to say... Well, Justin, you had mentioned that you're never going to get that moment again. That moment... I think, yeah, while I said, there's not going to be any reaction in this new movie that's going to be equal to that crane shot of Laurie standing Mm -hmm. in the courtyard with the axe and the shadow behind her screaming Michael. Yeah. Because I remember that 20 years ago, people going crazy. Yeah. And if there is a moment like that and people go crazy, it's only because they haven't seen H2O. And here's my point. That's really it. But here's my point I'm saying about like the transition from going to a horror movie to the subversive nature of what the ending of H2O was. You weren't expecting that. Like granted, obviously they marketed that way of like, oh, they're going to be battling this. But when you watch it, you know, stripped away from the promotional materials, you see this person who is all you know is just this survivor from the Halloween movies, 
um, that has to come to her own terms to fight Michael. So when she breaks that lock, that is when, and they mentioned this in the commentary, that's when like the true movie begins. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, and which one thing I'm kind of worried about with this new film is that the movie's not it's, the movie, for the most part, isn't that. So you are, it's like actually very subversive when you're all of a sudden you have the heroine that's like, no, fuck this. I'm going to take it into my own hands. Mm-hmm. And having that, and f- experiencing that transition as to immediately being thrown in that transition is so much more effective that I, 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 I just think that this movie, this new movie is going to be set itself up to failure by not having that sort of arc. Because, yeah. and, and, well, and like, and that's such a huge fucking deal for Lori, who, and it harkens back to the original one because she doesn't she does fight back in the first one and you see that sort of organic way of just being able to like all right I'm going to be resilient I'm going to be smart about this and H2O does that but takes it to another level and when she grabs the axe and he stabs her in the same way and I think the same, same place arm. same arm yeah. as she does in the first one that's honestly when she turns she reacts scared but then she immediately recovers and then and is able to take it again and like and that's and I remember being in the theater and everyone losing their shit because they didn't expect that. They really didn't expect that to happen. And for this one, now you're going to go in and be like, I can't wait to see Jamie Lee Curtis beat up Michael Myers. Like, well, we already well, saw that. Like I Again, mean, I, think, I think a lot of this is, is promo garbage, you know, and to get ramp people up to see it and make people, oh, it's 40 years later, da da I think that they're not going to lean on that character at all for that kind of thing. You know, we have all these other characters that, Michael Myers hasn't been around. He's been gone since the events of that. So, so we're going to lean heavily on her younger family and the, you know, the kids or the teens or the babysitters for all of that genuine mm-hmm. scare horror film tactic stuff. Um, but again, you know, it's weird because they're making such a point of saying that, you know, this is, you know, her 40, you know, I'll just, 40 years later. Yeah, what, for know, what, what, like, what, yeah, you go first and I have one more thing to say before we, we well, move on. That's, you know, talking about that courtyard moment with her going, Michael, I mean, in this new trailer, we literally see her going, Michael, with a gun. Yeah, it's the yeah. same thing. I was going to ask you guys, like that final shot, the, the chopping the head off. And she's like breathing heavy. Yeah. Do you think that's supposed to be like a direct homage to the end of the first movie, or Absolutely. is that just Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. I was just yeah. What were you gonna say, Justin? Um again for the for the younger listeners out there. <laughs> yeah, no, this it sound like so was better, such really. a huge deal for Jamie Lee Curtis to come back. Yeah. Because not only was this her coming back to Halloween, but she was the scream queen for about five years, from like seventy eight to eighty three before she did trading places. And then she left the genre. She was gone. She did not do any horror movies until she came back for this. And it was such an event. And I feel like they're just trying to recapture that moment now in 2018 with this new one. Because she's come back. And she's done horror movies since H2O. You know what I mean? Imagine if like Kevin Bacon came back to a Friday the 13th movie. Like That's what it was like at that point. Mm-hmm. Well, like, she was on that show Scream Queens too, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Yeah. Oh, and too. I was yeah. looking in the Entertainment Weekly pictures of, for Scream Queens. I think there's one where... like. She's crowning that same crown she wears on the cover to uh, Emma Roberts. Is that yeah, right? Emma Roberts. Yeah, so I, I, I like she did the same parallel, thing for Michelle Williams and um, originally yeah. mm-hmm. It's kind of, I mean, yeah, that's a whole other thing. But yeah, she, I mean, she went, she would go on to do like Virus. Uh, she would go, on she hates, do, which is great. She goes she off on that in the virus. commentary. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's what I wanted to say about about that character. I mean. I don't know. I, Love that look, she comes back. I hate that that she had to do this at the, this total epilogue. I think most people agree that it ends here for the original series. Oh, totally. Yeah, yeah, I've got some really nice things to say about the ending. I think we all are in agreement on that mm-hmm. later on. But um, all right, well, 
Let's move on to maybe the shortest category of the episode. <laughs> Buds and Bobs. Amazing grace. Come sit on my face. Don't make me cry. I need your pie. But why don't you just Joseph Gordon Levitt? A couple years removed from Angels in the Outfield. <laughs> what else has he been at this point? Oh, was he? In, oh, he was in third, third Rock from the, the Sun. He was, he was, a, in the he was of almost it, yeah. like the biggest star here. I mean, the, I, honestly, this is probably the most star-studded Halloween when you really think about oh, it. Oh, yeah. yeah well, we totally. get to some of the other male characters especially, too. Mm-hmm. But yeah, obviously, well, you know, Arkin had been established at this point. He had Jimmy been in Curtis. River Runs Through It. He was in, you know, he was a, a year removed from 10 Things I Hate About You. That's right. It was after that. Mm-hmm. Jesus. Now, you know what the equivalent of him is? And it's funny because they even frame it like this on the poster. I remember when Scream came out. And they advertised that Drew Barrymore was in it. That was like mm-hmm. the person you saw on the poster. And then she gets yeah, killed in the first yeah. five minutes. And I feel like they did the same thing with him. And it's really funny because he gets he gets off. And then they have him in the credits like after that. So it's always like a weird thing. And even the way the poster looked for H2O, it was the same, it was the same model of Scream of like everyone in kind of like a black shirt. And then they have the they pretty much just like have whoever's most famous on it, not who's the biggest but, character in the movie. Levitt's yeah. not on it though. He's not on the poster. The poster just has uh Harnett, Jody Leno Keefe. Uh, Michelle Williams. Sure? Yeah, no, I'm looking no, at it right now. Just girl love. It's not on the poster. He's not on the poster. Ah, but damn it! Well, it's okay. But but it, but he was a huge. But it was the very like Drew Barrymore thing where yeah. they brought in a big star, and he comes in and hey, he's great in this. He's funny. Oh, by the way, we should also mention when Marion runs into him, he's wearing a hockey mask. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Friday thirteenth. Come on. Hey, who directed yeah. Friday thirteenth again? Steve Miner. Oh wow. Who directed the second and third one? I should say. Mm-hmm. I will say, like, we're, when we're talking about like them not getting the teen characters right, I do think that they get Joseph Gordon-Levitt and the Sprite Kid. Right. Like, I 100 percent agree. I do 100 percent agree. Their dialogue is actually like realistic and it's funny and like they they, they feel more developed in a weird way than some yeah, than Joey Leno totally. does. And he, of course, has death by oh, Jason God. Friday Thirteenth death. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Skate I skate to the head. Which you hear Plan Nine in the background playing. It's like you stupid mind, yeah. you stupid Jimmy. And then that's, like oh, yeah. I love that sequence. That sequence is great. Yeah, I love that it's an off-screen death too. Because his uh, I can't stand to watch Joseph Gordon-Levitt getting an ice skate through the fucking head. He's just too cute and too fun, and I can't. He's talented. That. I love him. Jay Glo- What they call him? Jay. What's the? I, I, Jago. Jogo uh, Lev is what I call him. But <laughs> him and him as Jimmy when he comes in there and he like he has that funny bit where he like messes up the kitchen but then he still steals the beers he like yeah. looks around like oh, i'll take them and like then when he leaves great. and says you know oh yeah they really fucked up your kitchen yeah so. that's like, yeah. so good and then she's like it's like well, so good and then they like kind of like marvel at the beers together and yeah. that's where the i feel like that's where the like scream script works oddly mm-hmm. um because we haven't gotten too far into it yet yeah. and it's like we're still we're still having fun with re, you know bringing this character back do, you, do we have the name of jimmy's friend do they even say it in the movie I just I have here Sprite Jimmy's boy. friend from That's Sprite commercials. Sprite guy? Yeah. I think he was in the Sprite commercials. It could have been like a Spree. Well, it was one of those commercials. I just remember him like oh, always sprees. popping up in like God, these. those were so good. He was like basically like, uh, who's the guy who plays uh, Jesse um, in Breaking Bad? Um, Aaron oh, Paul? Aaron Paul. Oh, yeah, he's like Aaron Paul basically in all yeah. these like like alternative style like like Doritos commercials and, or something like I mean, that. He's, you know? he's really, I, I like him. He's, I like he's kind of, uh, what's the line? He's like, oh, I got to stay here and protect her. Like, he's he just like, does yeah. the Great. Good fun. Yeah. And then she's, awesome. and she rolls her eyes. I'm t- the opening sequence is terrific. Love the opening sequence. And he, unfortunately, I guess, does he get his stabbed in the back, I think is what he it does, is? And he yeah. falls in it, when Mary opens the, the door, right? It's like different on the TV cut, I think. That I think he has like some kind of not quite as fine. I'm looking to see if I can I can find his name. But what he, Jimmy is? Jimmy I think Tony. is Tony. Tony. It's Tony. Tony, yeah. Tony, Tony. Yeah. But he, um, 
he has, he's got some good lines, and I think the rapport between the two of them, some great ca- uh, some great characters. Uh, Langdon, Illinois, got some cool teens. Hey, I'll oh, tell yeah, you right now, it. those teens are better than the teens that we follow through most of the movie. My humble opinion. What do you think about that? I, I think he. I think I, I like them better it. than Charlie. 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 Okay, here's little, something I want to say about Charlie. What's the actor's name again? I said Jumanji Adam, Kid. Jumanji Kid. Adam Hanbird. Is Adam Hanbird. Good young actor. He was also yeah. in Little Man Tate. Yeah, that was his movie. big breakthrough. He was Joey Foster's, I think, son in that film. Mm-hmm. He was also very good in the Ice Storm, and yes. he kind of disappeared Great in the Ice Storm. Yeah. Kind of disappeared. Awesome. Well, but once again, the character Charlie, I don't. He's just he's really he's supposed to be like the Randy of the movie, I guess. He's yeah. just really horny and making jokes left and right. He's kind of creepy. Orgy jokes. I don't know. He, like, he creeps me out a little bit. Like his, his horniness is like very slimy. I don't know. I don't, I don't, don't like him. Don't like him. It's like he feels like a, if like an incel member had written this film and he would have been able to get with Sarah. I mean, that's what I feel like happened here. Just somebody feels like they <laughs> deserve so all the women in the world, you know? I, I don't know. I think they're both kind of cool alternative kids that were like, you know, probably like, they're like, hey, did you get that uh, that Stunt Hole Pilots album? And they're like, yeah, I did. Let's go back to my dorm room. Let's go, I, see, the, let's go see the purple. Yeah, exactly. No, you know, what I, know what I really hate about, and th- this makes an already horrible scene even more horrible, is in that CGI mask scene right before he, he kills uh, Charlie. Charlie says like a quip to Michael Myers Hey. Like, which what does he say? What does he say? Is he just like, oh, hey there, or something? Like, it, it's like he's not scared at all. I don't know why that like really bugs me for some reason. He was like, he, he basically was like, um, it's your neck, your next turn uh, for Jumanji. <laughs> Make like, any comments about you gotta, Charlie? <laughs> you got to roll yes, the sorry. dice yeah, next. Right. Um, um, I'm just excited for the new Jumanji sequel to <laughs> explore uh, Michael Myers uh, joining the the cast. That'd be great. Um, Hey, running through yeah. the jungle for Michael Myers—that sounds scary to me. I, I would not want to see that movie. No, Welcome I, to the I, jungle. I don't really. Like, I don't think he does like a poor job. I just think he's written that like in a in a inane way. And the fact that we don't get to see his death, we don't really get to see him. Yeah. Do any kind of real, you know, scare acting or you know, like like you said, he turns around, and he says, "Oh hi," like it's just so like yeah. muted, and then that's it, you know. I think the the um. What is it? The garbage disposal. The garbage disposal is good. That's an effective sequence. Yeah, you know, and it feels very similar to like the '80s uh, horror, and I like that nothing happens from it because you really do get teased. Like I, I, I mean, I remember seeing it in the opening night and thinking that, oh man, this guy's hand is yeah, gone. Yeah, like, I agree. I, I was convinced it was going to happen. Yeah, and I'm glad they didn't. They had some restraint there, and it is just totally derailed by that digital mask. Yeah, um, because you have this was, great I, sequence. It, it, we should it, say too, like. I, I don't know if you guys feel the same. I, I feel like with the these characters who are kind of lesser for me, it's like Adam Hanbird is not the problem. You know, no, like no, I, no, no. I, I feel like it's just this this kind of crappy dialogue and um, yeah, just his, his like it's it, it's not like I watch it. I'm like, oh man, if they had had um, uh, uh, Joshua Jackson in there, it would have been great. You know, like I think it's just it, it, I'm I've, I've got nothing but love for Adam Hanbird, who apparently was in. You guys are more of a fan of this movie than me, but uh, Back to the Future Three, he plays Jules Brown. Is, is that one of the kids? I guess. Oh, I guess or? he's one of the kids. He's not with the. He's not yeah. the kid that points to his uh, his wiener. No, no, no he's not that kid. Kids, oh, I also but... want to say that his death is because he goes looking for a corkscrew, and of course, in Friday Thirteenth, the final chapter, that's how Chris Glover's character dies. He's looking for a corkscrew. Oh, oh Kristen Glover, right. another Back to the Future. Uh, so I wonder connection. if there's a there must be there might be a little nod there. I think. Yeah, I would say with the with the teens, uh, Jody as well. Like it's just it's just how it's written. And I I don't think they're necessarily like you know doing awful performances or something. It's just I know, weird. I know Adam Hanbird. I think he started writing, becoming a comedy writer because he's been on a few podcasts. I want to say he's on. Um, uh, 
oh shoot, I'm, I'm blanking. What's the podcast with like the the where they, they interview actors who are like character actors on big movies? Fuck, uh, the comedy. No idea. Oh, I know yeah. you're talking about. Um, uh, really you were in this too, or I was in this too, or whatever. Yeah, I was um, there too. Um, I was there too. Yeah. They oh. did a they did a Halloween episode with PJ Souls actually. Uh, anyway, yeah, yeah that's I think really Matt Gorley podcasts are always very good. Okay, yeah. listen. Anyway, yeah. there are two other major actors in this film that we have not discussed in great detail yet. I want I want to get the positives out of the way first. So let's talk about the character of Will by Adam Arkin. Mike, you love this character. This is one of my favorite Halloween characters. Mm -hmm. And I'm just going to put that out because he's mature. He's got uh, a very uh, adult performance. I love uh, his rapport with everyone in this in this mm -hmm. movie. I think he just manages to just kind of bring out the best in every like actor that's in this. Like his little uh, back and forth with Michelle Williams and Jodie Lynn O'Keefe. Oh, when he goes and in. And that's great. Yeah. So yeah, that's good. So funny. Yeah. So good. And his even when you just first see him and he pops up in that hallway and it almost feels like an, like an Aaron Sorkin sequence when they're just like walking and talking. It's mm. just like, I really wish the goddamn movie was more about them. Like I about agree. Laurie and, and Will. Cause I actually, I mean his, his death is the one that hits the hardest for me out of anyone in this movie, even over Marion Chambers, because he's just so flung into this and he's so willing to help out Laurie and, and he seems to be like one of the actual only solutions to really helping her. And, and I, and I, and then even his reactions to when she like tells the whole story is so good. And like, he's just, I don't know, maybe because I love Alan Arkin so much and he has sure. so many attributes of his father, but he's great in this. Mac, his death though, what is that reference to? Adam Arkin's death? Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, Halloween too. When Halloween the nurse is stabbed in the hall and he lifts, uh, lifts her up with the scalpel. Yeah. Uh, I like that nod. I was really upset that he died because, yeah. <laughs> you know, of all the characters to kill off, just because I, 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 I really loved his, that whole sequence when he's talking to, to Lori and she's explaining who she actually is. Mm -hmm. Excellent. It's done so well and his real slow realization. And then the, you know, do you want to drink? And he's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. it's, it's just, I really think those moments work the best. Um, I wish he was a little bit more in in the film. I, I, again, like I said, you know, I wish it was more about the the adults. But um, yeah, he's he's not the problem in this film. I don't no, know. no, he, no. He's, he's also like I, I, I know that that exchange he has with the girls in the dorm and like just how he interacts with the students. He's also like kind of the guidance counselor teacher you wish you had. You know, like, oh, he'd yeah, be like really. Yeah. I could see him being like the cool, not not in a creepy way, like the cool. Uh, he, he's just a cool dude. Yeah, he's well, he might be my favorite. Like performer slash role in this movie i think he's just developed in a way that so many of the other ones are not and there's also a deleted scene um from the tv cut where he talks a lot about like his own issues with his own parents which yeah. i actually like quite a bit so they actually had some more material with with these adults that i think would have would have because the movie's really short this is like it's like what it's a very short movie, movie. Yeah. it's like 82 I like minutes or something had, i feel like they could I actually like add some of that in there your pivotal your classic 87 minutes but that's including the credits mm -hmm. you know yeah. But I, which I don't, I don't mind. I love a short horror movie. I think a lot of movies are way too long these days. But I would not have minded if they had added some of, even some more stuff with him and Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, there. Just the, the, like one, the one thing that he's able to do that it's so hard to do when you're dealing with like kind of Williamson esque dialogue is he doesn't make it look like or seem like it's a script. Like he, there's some great like sequences where or sequences, but great dialogue when he's just like, 
and he's like, hey, I was hoping that we'd spend some time tonight to, you know, would you like to join me this evening? Or, you know, and he's just like, give me 20, yeah. just give me 20 or something like that. It's just, it's so natural. And you actually well, you just feel he actually is a teacher and just really works there. And he's known Lori for so long. Like, I buy the relationship so much in this movie. The chemistry between the two of them yeah. is like Wait, really, think, really I, good. And I think, but for instance, dialogue wise, when he's humoring mm-hmm. Lori and they're kind of making it on the couch. And he says, you know, I, she starts confessing like her, about her past. And he just goes, that sounds sucky. Yeah. Like, like looking for like the cool word to say. Yeah. Like, but it's so natural the way he doesn't say it with any real pith to it. It's just yeah. this old well, guy trying to, teen- trying to break the tension maybe. Yeah. When the teenagers do that dialogue, and this just comes with age because like, you know, my wife's an actor and I do theater. Like it, it's, it's really hard when you're young just to say lines sometimes, you know, it's just hard to like say them like you would in everyday conversation. And so, like when the teens are doing it, there's just there's such a there's like such a winking at the camera quality, you know, like oh well, listen, you're ba da ba da ba da, and where's Adam Arkin? Like when when he says like oh I'm gonna I'm gonna stand and get my nipples pierced, like yeah. you guys have fun. He just like he just says it, and I think yeah, he handles like yeah, he's he's uh, hey, I would see him in some more some more Williamson esque dialogue because uh, he's he's real good at it. Well, another note about Adam Arkin, he has gone on to become a very um, proficient TV director. Mm-hmm. He's directed sure. episodes of, uh, you know, like Sons of Anarchy. We got. He was also on. He's also popped up in a bunch of shows over the last few years. Mm-hmm. Really good TV director. Anytime he pops up, it's always a treat. I'm always happy to see Adam Arkin showing up. He on was things. great on uh, that show, Life. Oh, I never watched. Oh yeah, no, I did. Oh, I watched yeah, the first yeah. season. He was of like Life, the, you're he right. was the lawyer. I think his lawyer friend. His that friend. Gets him off. Yeah. Very funny actor really too. Um, I hope he does have a late career resurgence, much like his father had. And uh, look, uh, we wish all the best for Adam Arkin. Yeah. Love Sorry, Adam. really quick before, before yeah. we move on to the next one, because you said treat, and we're talking about Kevin Williamson's dialogue. There's another deleted scene with, uh, with Charlie and the, the uh, Laurie Strode's son, John, where he said he's talking about possibly like losing his virginity. And he says the line is something like, Oh, tonight when you treat Molly with your trick, and that's just such it's such a gross oh. thing. Like, I'm glad that's not in the the. the uh, you know what? Of course, anyway. he ends up with Sarah. Of course, it makes perfect sense. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay, we actually have two to go. I almost skipped over a major one. Let's talk about who the ladies love. Oh yeah, Cool James. Cool, cool James. LL cool, cool J as Ronnie, who can only be described. As a security guard who's trying to be a romance novelist mm-hmm. and who has a, a relationship with his wife. Wow. This is an ultimate flex move by Merrimack saying, how can we draw in a bigger crowd than we've had for any of the other Halloween and movies? Let's bring this. in fans of LL Cool J. Let's mm-hmm. bring in, let's, let's diversify things a bit. How shoehorned is this particular um, performance, though? I... For 1998... This is not the L- actor Ella Cool G we know today from like CBS and stuff like that. I don't mind Ella Cool G in this. Yeah, he's no I, he's no Busta Rhymes. Oh God, Jesus! But no, it, it's funny because it's funny they mentioned that with like the demographic angle because Malika Cad literally admits as much on the the documentary, saying like, you know, we sat together and we're like, uh, you know, we need to bring in a, a different crowd, and uh, we you know we, we reached out and we tried to you know we wanted to get Ella Cool G in here and you know make it hip and all and. So it was a deliberate move by the producers to like absolutely try to attract a different audience to like well, to we, come to this. When you think and about it, it. I mean, they really they needed to diversify this. Oh, I agree. No, absolutely. Zero yeah. diversification. No. The issue I have is why don't you just 
are there any like black actors out there in 1998 as opposed to like having to go for somebody who's predominantly known for being I mean, a hip hop artist? In, uh, he was in Toys. He was right. He yeah, was he's in pretty toys. good. In to- he was oh, in, yeah, he was in. And toys. he was in the he was in the Adventures of Pete and Pete, and he had like you know he, he had some Pete like Pete? roles here and there, but. Um, oh yeah, he's he's in the he's oh, a season three, there. the one you can't really find anywhere. No, but there's a, I think there's some, some earlier seasons when he pops up uh, as like one of the this like one of the um, he's the the coach in it. Anyway, we're anyway, anyway, yeah, either way, he's, he's in uh, and I think he's pretty good though. And for I, what I, I agree, is. I, mean, I, I I don't think he's that as distracting. The thing that I think is an, is is kind of pedantic is the whole like dialogue with his with you know his wife oh God, which his is wife. like almost kind of offensive you know like it's oh, just, i'm sure it's, looking back yeah it's yeah. very yeah, like it's, it's very little... like stereotypical and I, I don't know i just i feel like it's a little um it is very shoehorned it's just it's, it's yeah. just too comical it's very screamy yeah it, it did. as in the movie scream i yeah. should say it, i it worked for me in the sense that i like his real i like that he kind of has a relationship with john and like let's, i do too. let them out he's like you get, he's actually more fleshed out than some of these kids, you know? Oh, yeah, easily. And, yeah. Uh, and I like how he, you know, the whole Adam Arkin thing where he, like, blows him away and not Michael. And I, I don't know. It, 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 that character, the idea of that character works for me, you know? Um, I don't think L.O. Cool J pulled me out of it necessarily. Having, you know, like you said, he was in Toys and he was in some, some films at that point. But, um, yeah, I, I don't think it's, like, the greatest character of all time. Right? No. Well, as we no. learn at the very end, he's going to become a screenwriter. That's his art. He, now he's like, I well, lived. I'm gonna become a screenwriter. It, it's, and it's kind of weird too because when you look back in hindsight, like, all right, so, you know, Adam Arkin, Adam Arkin's character almost kills, you know, almost kills him, or you think that he almost, you know, because he thinks it's the shape. Well, I think that's yeah. so and, funny too. Real quick, he says at the end, "Oh, you know, I was just grazed." Yeah. How much blood is on that floor? Exactly. When he hits the, like there is no way. I mean. I, it's an intense amount of blood to have just been a great. Oh, it's ridiculous. <laughs> and also, he's literally saying this in front of Laurie Carey, who lost her boyfriend yeah, yeah. because of this whole situation. And he's just like, yeah, no, I live. It was only a graze or whatever. And it's, it's so much exposition, too. And it it's it's after like all these like these very har- like harrowing moments. And like, so for it's just, I don't know, it just seems so disjointed tonally. You know, in there. But having said that, I, I do love the rapport with Josh Harnett when when they're talking yeah, together. Like I mean, that, that's a lot of there fun. Could have been a little bit more of that stuff. Like, yeah, I, I think if you I think if you cut out the romance novel stuff and and either replaced it with just like having a normal conversation with his wife, not reading her, you know, sexually explicit dialogue, and then having her very stereotypically just like get sassy and bitch him out. You know what I mean? Like I feel like that it that role would be like a little bit more. I mean, I don't know. Like I said, I, I like his I like his performance in it. I think there's good stuff in the role. It's it once again just comes back to where you're putting your attention as a screenwriter, you know. Like I, I just I hate that that's a shtick. Like oh yeah, he like write, he writes about like yeah he writes trashy romance novels. It just seems really weird to me. Well, it's like the old you know the old trope of like oh here's the old man with a dog or something like that. You know, it's just like yeah, and he has yeah. a cool quirky dog. I will say, in my experience of going to movies, I don't usually like when people talk during movies. Pretty much hate it. However. That scene where he gets shot brought and warranted one of the greatest moments I've ever had at a movie theater. It was one of the third or fourth screenings. I went to go see it and packed audience Friday night. And when LL Cool J, when it's revealed it's LL Cool J and not the shape, this woman in the audience went, Oh, they shot LL and like really loud (laughs) and just totally broke. But we, people were on the floor cracking 
up. Like, and I was dying. And like, it, I mean, and in hindsight, I guess it does kill that entire fucking sequence, especially when like Will is like about to be like, killed. We're all like cracking up as like Adam Arkin is just being like gutted. And so <laughs> because this whole like it just like it was so surprising, but it was just so earnest. Like she was so angry that they shot LL Cool J. And it was just so hilarious. And I'll never forget, like every time I see that sequence, I always think of that moment in that in in the theaters with that. And it was That's it was great. Great, great, great moment. So <laughs> do, do you guys think I, I I don't know if this is true or not. Was, was this like the start of having rapper like a, a single rapper like in a horror movie? Because I feel like that happened quite a bit after this with Halloween Resurrection. And then you have Trey Songs and like Texas Chainsaw 3D. Like I, I feel like you started to see that a lot more. Like having rappers in horror movies but do you, do you think this was the first one to do that or oh, he's not a rapper but for usher is in the faculty yeah like, right yeah. like a hip-hop hip-hop artist kept yeah appearing, yeah, yeah totally. you know and, and high profile hip-hop artists by the way yeah <laughs> because if you, then you brandy was in i still, I still know, know, I still know, know that's right yeah that's right yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah I, that's a good there was definitely a trend going on there for a while mm-hmm. and um speaking of great theater experiences though we did see Texas Chainsaw 3D and people reacting oh, to Trey yeah. Songs. That was pretty, pretty. They hilarious. do not want to, want to see Trey Songs get killed. Not, that was a lot of fun. Anyway, let's go on to the uh, a big breakthrough performance here in this film. Yeah, actually, The Ringer had a pretty good article the other day by Shay Serrano about Josh Hartnett had a moment. He sure did, and it all kicked off here as the as in the role of uh, I guess John Tate would be his name, John right? Tate. Corey's son, John Strode. Uh, I think Tate. Josh Hartnett's great in this movie. I agree, and. Oh, totally. I, yeah. I've always been a fan of Josh Hartnett. You know, I noticed, actually, I noticed this a long time ago. Even though the shape is obviously a mask, his features and his hair kind of look like the shape, the mask, <laughs> yes, right? they do. They do. Right? <laughs> You're right. You're totally it's, right. And that's kind of an unsettling thing. Like, I believe that he would be related to the shape, even though, again, we only see <laughs> yeah, the mask. Yeah. Like, I buy the relationship. I buy that this is his nephew. Well, his hair apparently was, like, a huge point of contention, which is funny because, like, Ella, like, says that line to him. Mm. He's like, comb your hair, which is funny because that was, like, a behind-the-scenes gag because apparently Josh Hunnett, like, refused to, like, he was wearing a beanie all the time, and he just would not take it off during, like, the minute they stopped rolling, he would put the beanie back on. Weird. It was like 1998, a, man. Yeah. wearing beanies in the summer. Actually. So if you watch I all the behind the scene, scenes stuff, he's wearing this like blue beanie all the time. I, yeah, I well, thought I, I thought he was the epitome of cool. Oh, I thought yeah. he was. The, I thought he was the coolest person in the faculty. In fact, like for the mm-hmm. longest time, the he informed. Faculty came out after this, right? It yeah. did because but, this is. A, I mean, this says introducing Josh Hartman. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I was just, I was really excited, and I, I thought he was real cool. I remember yeah. like looking up to this character, like, oh man, yes, like. And then it's just you know he he was on a roll there for a while, but um, he's good. I it's kind of funny watching it now as an adult because he's, he's just such a shitty person to his mom. And I understand that he's like you got to move on, you got to move past this. I'm 17, I'm 17, I'm 17. But God, I'll tell you right now, if some 17 year old kid was saying that to me, <laughs> I'd be like, you're not going anywhere. Yeah, right. Do do your room. Do your do your Michael uh, do your Josh Harnett impersonation. You do really well. It's a. Michael Myers is dead. <laughs> now, Don't you think he would have? I do. You guys remember when when it came out? I feel like he kept getting comparisons to like he looked like Tommy Lee Jones. That's like what I remember. Like all these magazines. <laughs> Wait, really? Like, yeah, dude. Yeah, like, I kind of no see like, that. When it came out, like because no one knew who he was then. They were just like, oh, he's like this great actor, and he looks just like a young Tommy Lee Jones, which he kind of does. Like looking at his face. Man, I you know what? I, you know, you know, what I would not be averse to is if they did like a. 
a U.S. Marshals Sam Gerard series, like a younger version of him. I had Josh Hartnett. Oh, yeah, man. Ooh, that'd be I'd great. Yeah, that. That'd be great. Um, yeah, Josh Hartnett definitely had a run there. Uh, he was also in that movie that I think is like low-key excellent. Oh. Oh, yeah. The Othello. That was very controversial because it was around the time of the Columbine shooting, so they delayed it by a year. Yeah, I um, love Also, very good in Penny Dreadful, that Showtime horror mm. series. Very oh, yeah. good in that if show. You, if you miss Josh Hartnett, yeah, definitely seek out the... I think it's all Netflix. At least the first two seasons of Penny Dreadful. He's really great on it, and it's a, it's, it's a great horror horror show that un- unfortunately was canceled, and they, they the really, really do a rush job wrap-up of that ending, which is not great, but I would definitely suggest watching it if you're a horror fan. It's a he's bummer a, that uh, he's been retconned out of this uh, universe now. He's excellent. In, uh, he's also excellent in Virgin Suicide. It's one of my favorite parts of this Oh, movie. he is really good in that. And, and also as uh, a romantic lead in uh, 40 Days and 40 Nights. Yeah. Let me just Fun say, times. to wrap up our little, <laughs> what movies were was he in? Yeah, right? <laughs> Loved him in Hollywood Homicide. Yeah, I did too. <laughs> oh, wow. I think that's an <laughs> underrated Harrison Ford movie, to be really? honest with you. Really? I do. Yeah. yeah. I, love I love their Harrison rapport Ford. together. I love Harrison Ford, and I... I will say I, I actually enjoy them together in that film, but that movie's not good, dude. <laughs> no, it's not a good movie, but the, I, I enjoy watching them together. And sometimes a chemistry between two leads is enough for me, yeah. like it, it, just for me to just enjoy the film. It and, is. Uh, it is funny looking back on the Halloween series since we're we're almost to the end of it, uh, or at least the, the most current part of it. It really did launch the careers of so, like Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, Paul Rudd, Josh Hartnett. I don't know if I could. I would say it launched the career of Paul Sasha Rudd. Sasha like, Jensen. Yeah. <laughs> Sasha hey, Jensen. one of the days of Leo Rossi. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Leo Rossi. Oh God. Uh, yeah, it's, it's just funny to me how like I'm like man, they they really did get a head start on on booking a lot of people who go on to have really really illustrious careers. Uh, it should be noted that they did. Um, Sean Clark, who handled a lot of the commentaries for these movies, he did, uh, you know, bring up the subject of Jimmy Lloyd or Jimmy uh, from Halloween Two, mm-hmm. and asked if they saw the methadone addict that Laurie mentions or Carrie mentions, uh, and John mentions in the the kitchen early on in this movie, if that was if they saw um, Lance Guest as like the father in this, and they kind of said, no, nah, we didn't really think of it that much, so. A lot of fans still speculate that John Strode or John Tate is the son of Jimmy, of Jimmy. and I still kind of do because I, I, I like the idea of Laurie and Jimmy getting together. Do we never we never find out what Jimmy's last name is in the no, original series? Unfortunately, not. I think it's Tate. Oh. Yeah, that'd be great, right? <laughs> well, Ziggy Tate. I, I also wanted to bring up before we move on the the idea that um, he's he's turned seventeen, and we've mm-hmm. we, he's made a point of saying that multiple times. Yeah, and that that is one of the reasons that. Lori realizes, oh, Michael's back. Why did he come back? Oh, he he came back to get me when I t- when I was seventeen. Mm-hmm. Now he's come back to get John. Now that he's seventeen, <laughs> which is weird because he, he I mean he's searching for Lori. And I, but does, how does he know that she has a kid? I, I, it's very it strange. No, it's very but odd. It's... I, I I like that. It was a kind of like a little cool reveal. You're like, oh yeah, okay. Well, maybe that's just why. Um, I think the file really work because he just kind of abandons what? Sorry. What what did the file that Michael stole in the beginning would have maybe had info on if she had a kid or not? But that would suggest that. But it doesn't make sense that he's obviously going to to try to find out where Lori is 
not this fictitious kid. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It'd, it'd be like, yeah, happen to be true. like, oh, she's also got a, he's also got a kid, and it just happens to be seventeen. I'm gonna go after. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so it doesn't really make sense. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's a good point. Yeah, yeah. It is, yeah, it is weird how that's like a reveal, or maybe I don't know. Maybe it's just like reminding her that he could potentially really be there. But no, that, yeah, I hadn't really thought of that before. Well, I think bottom line is we like Josh Harnett. Yeah, we love John Strode. We won't ever see him again. John Strode. I'm calling him John Strode, Wait, even John though John Strode is from Halloween. Halloween of Michael Myers. This Michael Myers bullshit. I, uh, <laughs> I do like uh, I do like John Tate. What a charmer! What a hunk! Uh, some days I like to think that he moved to Texas and is fighting aliens in the faculty. Unfortunately, I, I think he's the last Bud and Bob of this uh, segment. Bud and Bob, we're done. And we're going to move on to our next category, a fan favorite. <laughs> Probably. Maybe. One of them was Annie. Oh, 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 oh. I can okay, so this segment, we're going to discuss the most shocking death, right? <laughs> Which is pretty I think obvious. we all agree here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The most shocking death is, in my opinion, the second best ending of any Halloween movie and one of the best horror movie endings of all time. I'm, I'm talking, I'm including the classics. Yeah. I think this ending is so satisfying mm-hmm. on every level. We so often see movies where we're like, oh, I hope they make another one. The way this movie ends, you'd say, oh, no, this is it. Yeah. This is the perfect button on a franchise. And it's Michael Myers getting his head chopped off. Yeah. It's just incredible. That's yeah. and it's the most surprising death of the film too. It's a very very strange. Had they had they started with the remakes after this film, then you're like okay, because it's t- then I, I would have been more on board because it would it was like okay, this is totally it's a separate thing. Mm-hmm. This was the this was the series. Mm-hmm. It's done now. They're they're just trying to like you know breathe new life into it. Okay, but the but because of the resurrection. Oh yeah, and yeah. the tie in yeah. with this movie. It just really puts a bad taste in my mouth with H2O again, unfortunately. Resurrection but, yeah. is the most unfortunate thing that, to happen to any horror franchise. Uh, it's just, Agreed. and we're going to go off on it the next time, but yeah. I, I agree. Like, And I'll go further. Yeah. Had they included that scene where you actually do include four, five, and six, and you actually have Laurie and Carrie have that emotional weight of mm-hmm. also knowing that he killed her daughter. And then you have the ending here where you just cut off his head. It ends with the triumphant Halloween theme, and she's the one breathing. It's called Halloween 7 and not this bullshit title that also looks ridiculous when they use the actual font from the poster for when it appears in the credits in the beginning, which we didn't talk about. But it looks so comical. But had they have done that, oh, my God, that would have been the, it would have made that ending even far more impacting. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with you. I think it's, it's still one of my favorite endings of any I mean, We're just movie. talking about the scary, the most surprising death yeah, at this point, yeah, too. You know? Yeah, and, but, and but, it, it's shocking as, as hell. But had they have done that and lead up, that it just would have been such a cool unifying element to this series to be like, Lori's the one that's going to end it now. Boom, here we go. And it's just it's so insane how they fumbled it while also still being surprising because – the internet's different at that time. Like you didn't hear about this. You didn't stuff. know about anything. I had no idea. If you go that opening night, Myers. there's no chance of anything. Did not know. Yeah, Dan. I would, well. So what we're saying then is that the most surprising death of this movie is a uh, a paramedic. Then that <laughs> <laughs> I won't make this clear too. We are basing no, I, it on yeah. when we saw it in 1998. Yeah. Not you know, of yeah. course, what yeah. they try to 
fixed later on. You know, know what sucks about this? And I know we're not on Resurrection until one more episode, but all right. So say Resurrection did the whole thing of, okay, he's still alive. He actually killed this fireman or paramedic or whatever that guy is. If, Resur- if the rest of Resurrection had been a good movie and it was actually like, okay, well, at least, okay, they had this kind of like, you know, bullshit story move, but at least it resulted in something good, it would be a different story. But because Resurrection sucks so bad, and then we go right into the remakes, yeah, it, Resurrection just feels so unnecessary, and it does, oh man, it, I don't want to say it ruins this ending for me, because I think the ending is so bold and so cool, and I agree, it is the most shocking death, but like, it's once again, watching it through that 2018 lens is, is so much different than that 1998 lens. And, and also, too... Uh, you know what, I, it still feels yeah. like she's killed him. And that yeah. they try, and and in Resurrection, if you watch Resurrection, that's when it's bullshit. Because I still I feel here, this is it. He is dead. That is Michael Myers. And, and watching and it now, it like, feels like it. And even the way they do it, where he reaches out, and for a moment you have that. And this is the only thing yeah. I really do give credit to the brother sister angle, which I have voiced my dis- yeah. you know disappointment with multiple times in this series. That sequence where he does actually reach out, and obviously now it's a paramedic, but. At the time, there was something so like they actually had pathos yeah. for this villain that's awful. And at some point, you want you start wondering, and you can even theorize like, did he just come out of his element now? And he's just realizing, or no, is he trying to menace? Doesn't matter. She's gonna fucking end it right now. Mm-hmm. And that is so. It makes that that whole like sequence where she actually even turns away from him, and it's, it makes it even more impacting where she's able to just actually not even have to stare at him anymore. She could just turn away is so good and so surprising and so fast. It's that punch, and it feels like a left hook. And, yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's one of the most surprising things I've ever experienced in a movie. Like, yeah, I feel like it is almost like the yeah. Luke, I'm your father sequence for horror. Okay, one, one last question. thing, Dan. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, because I, I know, you know, they have that footage they have in Resurrection, obviously, that sort of, like, reveals what really happened with this whole death. Did they film that on the set at no. H2O? No, no it's a different. He's, no. Okay. he's wearing the mask from Resurrection. And, and if you we'll, watch, we'll save that for Resurrection. We have a lot to talk but, about. But, with you, the but even I if just, you watch the sequence, it's not like, even the same. The reason I ask is I just I, I was wondering if Jamie Lee Curtis and the rest of the cast, I guess, went into this movie thinking this was the final death for Michael Myers, or if this was there was the possibility of a comeback. So none of them had. So they really did think that his head was being chopped off then when they filmed this. No, again, like it's that loophole that they that they discussed. They knew the contract, right? Right. They knew that they would have to be able to continue the series, but they filmed it and they did this with as much intent as possible to ending this series. That's how I view it. And the only loophole that they, Kevin Williamson came up with, I guess, is like the thing with like the touching the head and stuff. Yeah, I, I, I will say that when I watched it this time, when he comes to, he starts like really touching his head as if as if he doesn't know what's on his face. And, and so I was like, but again, I think this is a great ending and I think it still works as an mm-hmm. ending. And you don't you can look at it that way if you want to, but I think that it's it works. And yes, I agree. I'm chiming in. This is definitely the most surprising death in the film. Yeah. And like you said, without inter- the internet or any spoilers, it was a very satisfying, surprising, well, like last moment. What did you do when you saw it in theaters? I gasped and I then applauded. <laughs> <laughs> I think I, I think I started clapping with everybody else. Yeah, Everybody yeah. was clapping. Yeah, it was yeah. just, just incredible. Again, you want to talk about another, there's nothing that Laurie's going to do in this new movie that is going to be the equivalent no. of Laurie chopping off Michael Myers' head. It's just not, I'm, I'm look, I'm not being pessimistic, I'm being a realist. Yeah. Well, Justin, I, I have, I read some, some Reddit threads <laughs> from, right. from the screening I think that she does inject him with five 
uh, syringes <laughs> Ooh, of <callback>. green goo. <laughs> I hope okay. they bring that call back. That'd be great. Well, let's talk about another section. No, what the fuck am I talking about? Let's go on to our next section. It's called <laughs> One Good Scare. Louis, the boogeyman is outside. Look. So it's the end of the movie, and Lori's reaching out to Michael, or Michael's reaching out to Lori, right? And, she, and he almost makes contact, and then all of a sudden, the last thing you expect, she picks up the axe and chops his head off. That, to me, is the scariest part of the movie for me. The scariest part? I think it's amazing. It scared the shit. I was like, what? This is happening? Like, it really gave me a jolt. I think that this, for me, this falls in line with the other category. I think this is still the most startling moment for me in terms yeah. of the one good scare. And I- I could see that. Yeah. Yeah. In terms of traditional scare of like yeah. being spooked out, I got nothing. No, there you oh, go. Wow. I got nothing. I don't think there's anything scary about this movie. You don't think the opening sequence is scary? Not even that. No. Really? I, I, I'm, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm stressed out for, for her, but I'm not scared. Yeah. Because it's implied, because I know the screen beat at that point. Even back then, I knew that, that there was going to be, that the, the introduction was going to be similar to Scream because they go right into it. And. It just it felt like as if like okay this is the opening segment he's gonna find out the information it's gonna go there's right. just nothing really scary about this movie and yeah. it, it almost feels like um, it's not fan fiction per se but it just feels like a catching up sort of thing and it feels like an action movie it is an action movie to me like at, at some point at some point it becomes an action movie and that's what I most remember I guess like the scariest moment for me would be Jody Lynn O'Keefe's death because it's how gruesome it is that's but gross. that's not I don't know that just that seems more anxiety than anything but. Yeah. I don't know. All right, Mac. Anything? Uh, yeah, there's so two strange moments that that were scary for me is the one I mentioned already when you know when Lori turns the car and there's that sting. You see the Myers car, and I think that that was just like a, a little reminiscent of you know seeing the um, station wagon mm-hmm. in the first films. Um, so I love that little scare. Um, I also think the only moments, and it's early on, so we don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what kind of movie this is going to be yet is the restroom, the rest stop uh, yeah. moment yeah. Um, when that little girl's in the stall next door. I, I, I'm genu- I was genuinely creeped up by that. Also, any bathroom scenes always remind me of like Candyman too. So, you know, like, yeah. um, well, yeah. I, I just think that that moment for me, uh, it was genuinely like, I was like, ooh, like, like what's going to happen? And the fact that nothing happens is, is, is a great mislead. But um, yeah, so for me, those, those two sequences are, are genuinely creepy. Danny? Yeah, I'm gonna agree with Mac. I think the, I mean, the opening one, obviously, which we've talked about a lot, does genuinely scare me. The restroom sequence. There's another deleted scene from the TV cut where you actually see the door creak open before the two women go in the bathroom from the guy's bathroom, um, or, or sorry, from the. Did they go? In, they go into the the men's bathroom, right? That's what it is. Yes. Yeah, I think. She go, yeah, okay. yeah, she has to go in the men's bathroom. So the door. Like the boys will just have to wait. Yeah, and so like the door actually creaks open from the men's bathroom, and you see Michael's mask like looking at them just for a second. So that mm-hmm. makes the scene even creepier for me. Um, I gotta say, man, I, I don't know. I'm pretty, I'm pretty like thoroughly creeped out for from a lot of the sequences in the movie. I think the way Michael just walks in and kills Ella Cool or kills Adam Arkin is uh, is pretty creepy. I think the lowering from the the ceiling, even even they do a lot of great like Michael just peeking through windows and everything. Um, but anyway, if I was gonna have to pick one, it would probably be the opening. With the bathroom sequence as an honorable mention, I definitely do get do get the willies a little bit from both of those scenes. And I talked about earlier on the the restroom, the rest stop sequence being yeah. pretty effective too. So yeah, but for me, I, th- I still think the the scariest part is 
nothing to do with Michael killing him, but it's with him mm-hmm. being killed. Let's move on to our next category. I'll never say this goes Don Pleasant did back in 1981, but I'll try my best. Get out now. Okay, so uh, do we buy Michael's survival? <laughs> no, we don't because uh, Ed gets chopped not at off. all. He's fucking all the dead. Movies, he's fucking he's dead. dead. He got his head chopped off. Malik, oh. this is this is this is unprecedented. This is the first time where it's like a resounding no. question about. I mean, obviously, not having watched this movie, not no resurrection involved. He's gone. He's, he's a goner. Even even having had Resurrection come out and a new movie coming out, guess what? He died at the end of this movie. He died. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's dead. He's fucking dead. My my thing is, and look, we'll talk about it more in Resurrection when I like have to take four Xanaxes because I'm going to lose my shit over this movie. But you, I rewatched that whole sequence with the coroner again oh, and God. again last night. There is not a single fucking coroner that is acting suspicious or acting creepy or being off to the side. It is such a ham-fisted bullshit plot device that they wheeled into this sequel to make it happen. It's insane. It's just so insane. And it's incredibly insulting. It's insulting to Jamie Lee Curtis. It's insulting to female characters in film. It's it's, it's awful. I'm going to stop myself there because I'm going to save this all for the next episode. But... There's no fucking way he survives this. There's no way that he swaps his uniform with someone else, even though there's multiple people on site. You have LL Cool J walking around with his cell phone talking to his wife. You have the kids that are sitting there. You have multiple policemen. If the coroner, if he swapped it with the coroner and there are people coming in and out, how is he changing it? He's going to knock someone out when nobody's looking and and swap it over? This isn't a video game. He has to get out of overalls. He has to take his boots off. It's insane. He died. And again, that's another goofy thing like from the end of Halloween 6 where he switches clothes with the man in black or whatever. (laughs) You're like, why do you think this would work? Like when it didn't work the first time, like yeah, you, you, you totally retconned it. Yeah, you know, so I don't know. Dan, uh, how do you feel? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, Mike, Mike, you said it all. It's um, once again going back to that first time seeing it in 1998. My my dad and I, it's like. I don't know if we actually did, but it was almost like a fist pump because it was so. My dad was even saying, "He's like, oh, that's what they should do in every horror movie, and they, they never do." And mm-hmm. so, yeah, I don't buy that Michael Myers would have survived. I don't buy that he would survived even with the uh, the little scheme they lay out in the next movie. So, yeah, it's um. Well, I'll save it for Resurrection. Yeah, again, he's dead, and it's and it's so satisfying, and we're fine. If that was it. As much as I love Halloween, I never had to see another Halloween movie for the rest of my life. No. I'm fine. It was great. Just with that ending alone. That was fine. Okay, well, I guess we've, we've kind of explored this a little bit, but we can go on to our next category. <laughs> I don't know how Maybe. we're going to do this one, but we'll see. We'll, we'll figure, figure this out. out really quick. We're going to lean heavy on Dan here. Yeah. The Mark of Thorn. Michael Myers is my business. It's been quiet here for six years, and that's the way it's going to stay. And the last thing I need now is you going around spouting off ghost stories. I suppose it was a so ghost here's a conspiracy theory. So here's a conspiracy theory I have. Mm-hmm. Here's how Michael survives. He crushes the larynx of a wandering coroner at Hillcrest Academy, <laughs> takes off his underwear and socks and shoes, gets totally naked in a really quick amount of time. Yeah. Of course, because there's definitely not cops and everybody surveilling the scene. Mm-hmm. And he's definitely not bleeding from definitely not bleeding. multiple wounds. And, and switches um, wardrobe with his coroner, 
the coroner is so out of it that he gets, you know, he's unconscious, I guess, and he's thrown into a body bag. So when he, at the very end, when he's trying to scream out to, to Lori not to kill him because I'm actually the coroner, I'm not Michael Myers. Or take off the She mask. doesn't get it, and she kills him thinking that she's killed Michael Myers. But guess what? Michael Myers is out there. He's alive. They can make another movie. There's my conspiracy. And I think that's the only conspiracy theory that you could absolutely take from this movie. That's it. Well, How about this? The conspiracy to make more money. Yes. That's it. Yeah, Ooh. we already talked about all the all the stuff that you could talk about in terms of like the connections to the other movies or whatever. Compared to Halloween and the Curse of Michael Myers, which is what we had mentioned before, it feels like a Marvel movie in terms of how many references, Easter eggs, and all the connective tissue. This is so light on all of it that it's so... So isolated. It's so isolated. It's so like razor tight with regards to plotting and narrative. There really isn't much to glean from here, especially since they destroy all the other sequels. It's a direct tie to the first two. Loomis has just been living a life like... Um, there's nothing really to take. No. So. Well, I'm interested. I'm also really interested to talk about the next film and like, were there any versions where they he was going after like John? You know, what I mean, like I, I'm interested. Mm, but yeah. we'll talk about all that. We'll next talk time. about all of that next. Okay, time. I'm going to have a whole new section about uh, other scripts that. Well, I'm looking forward fan, to that. I don't know a lot scripts. about alternate scripts. Well, okay. just fan scripts in general, but it would be interesting to see. And I don't know exactly. I'll, I'll look into it before this next episode. But I, <laughs> it'd be really funny if there's like. An ama- like a lost amazing script for Resurrection. Like if Resurrection was actually going to go into some really cool direction. I, I don't think that's the case from uh, everything I understand about it. It was like a rush job and just kind of a mess. But it may, who knows? Maybe there's some script out there that... There is actually yeah, one, Dan. There was yeah. one, I remember. It was called Halloween, The Revenge of Ronnie. And um, <laughs> pretty cool. I thought you were going to well, say uh, Halloween Snowfall. <laughs> hey, you know what? A guy can dream. Yeah. But... but, but but we can't have time for dreams because we have to move on to our overall thoughts of, of Halloween H2O 20 years later. That's it. That's enough. I can't take it, Mom. He's dead. Michael Myers is dead. Mike, you go kick it off real quick. Oh, boy. I got I to gotta kick this one off. Including how many jack-o'-lanterns you give it. Jack-o'-lanterns. Okay. Yeah, of course. It's hard to review this film without having any of the weight of nostalgia. That's mm-hmm. on my shoulders with this. I have so many great experiences with this film. I, I, I for a, a lot of reasons, I this was an escape, um, and a very weird escape. And this is where I want to get kind of a little personal here. And I'm again, I apologize if I t- go off on a tangent, but this is like the one last time I want to be able to talk about this movie. As much as I don't like this film, I can't dismiss the fact of how important it was in my life. Um, it was strangely odd and prescient in a weird way my mother who even watching the original one i always thought was very similar to the laurie strode character and then to have her come back and she's an alcoholic and she's going through all these problems and in the late 90s my mother is like was going through a lot of crazy stuff i mean she's like peak alcoholism like all this really insane things that were going on and then to make it even weirder is like my grandmother always like she looks a lot like Janet Leigh. So just having all this like weird illusions and have like for some reason, like I just really connected with this movie on a on a on a very weird subconscious level. So when it came out, I totally understood this like idea of like the that that triumphant like coming over the the hurdle. And I know my mother really felt that too, watching it. And I know when we watched it together um, for my early birthday 
there was something about the movie that connected with her too. And so I, there are multiple layers to why I will always appreciate and, and, and love this movie from a personal level. However, from a critical standpoint and from a very technical standpoint, this movie just doesn't hold up. Mm. And, I, and I have a lot of problems from the score to the mask to the guy who plays Michael to the potential and pitfalls of the screenplay that it really could have been well. I don't like the idea that they retcon the, the, the sequels when it would have been so much easier at this point to include them all. And especially when you had a previous sequel that was so ambitious that absolutely tried to make sure that all the connective tissue could stay there and then dismiss it. And it just felt lazy to me. Um, you know, having, having said that Jamie Lee Curtis is pretty astounding in this movie. Like, you know, she really does like have this momentum and aura about her. I might have some gripes about how she portrays Laurie at points, but for the most part, amazing in this. Love Adam Arkin. So for me, it's in, in the ending. If we are really taking this as as, as the ending of the, had, the, the Halloween movies the movie. and the intent of what it was, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. So for that, I got to give it three jack-o'-lanterns. All right, three bright, three glowing jack-o'-lanterns. bright, glowing jack-o'-lanterns with some candy corn on the side. Uh, <laughs> Mac. Um, I'm gonna give it three jack lanterns. I think it's, I think for all of its pitfalls, because it's only an hour and twenty minutes, you are <laughs> in and out of this film. I did say at one point we were Justin and I were watching it. I said, you know, for an hour and twenty minute movie, this thing's crawling. <laughs> like it was like very early on, but uh, yeah, you know, it's still entertaining. There, there are just there are a lot of good performances in it in terms of you know the adults and things um the score is atrocious but uh it's still and again that ending the ending is kind of miraculous because if you are watching it with the intent that this is the end it really kind of wipes everything clean for me like i i I really do love that ending and then Mm -hmm. when that music kicks in and then you could just go ahead and turn it off before creed kicks in uh in the in the credits but uh, I'm gonna yeah I'm gonna go ahead and give it three um, three bright bright shining jack lanterns. Dan, coming in from t- Austin, Texas. Man, I I'm, I thought you guys were gonna give it like two two and a half or something. I, like I was I was surprised. surprised. Yeah, I yeah. thought you were going a little well, lower. Also, yeah. Compared to every, compared to all the other films as well, you know, you've got to kind of oh temper, yeah temper your rating. Bump. I mean, I was wrestling with the two point five, but yeah, you know, yeah. yeah, Dan. Yeah, no, I want I agree with Max's point in that. There are issues with this movie for sure. The mask, the score, um, some of the dialogue between the teen characters. However, I've rewatched it a ton. It's never, it's never like boring to me. I feel like it's lean and mean. Yeah, it, it very much is. They're nineteen ninety scares as opposed to seventy scares. But the same way I would look at the seven, at the first Halloween is like a period piece. Like it feels very much of an era. I trained it out with nineties stuff too, and the nineties just happened to be like the late nineties, especially a little bit um, cornier of an era, to say the least. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I don't know, I'm more than willing to forgive its shortcomings. I still think there are a really good number of scary sequences, including the opening and the restroom and even some of that chase stuff in the end. I mean, if, if anything, the movie is inconsistent to me in terms of look and the types of scares that we're getting. But I'm, I'm always invested in it. And uh, if Resurrection had not happened, especially that, that ending is just so, so brilliant to me. So I'm going to go ahead and give it three and a half Bright orange, uh, I almost said Pennywise Cloud, Pennywise Cloud noses. Bright orange, jack o' lanterns. Um, yeah, three and a half. What about you, Justin? All right, well, you know, we've all been, I think what happens is when you're dissecting anything, whether you love it or not, you tend to focus on 
the critical aspects because yeah. we're being critical. We're breaking things down, and sometimes mm-hmm. you see things that don't work. And I've gone on ad nauseum about what I don't like about this movie, but the bottom line is, again, I, I think Jamie Lee Curtis is really good here, and so is Adam Arkin. This was such an event, and I, I still think it holds up as an event, really. I still think you look back and say, oh, wow, Jamie Lee Curtis came back mm-hmm. to a Halloween movie. Yeah. I think the opening is really good. I think, really, though, it's that ending. That ending is so great. And if you stick a landing sometimes, that's that can, like you said, Mac, that can erase a lot of things, a lot of problems you've got. When that, because that ending overshadows so many of my gripes. So at the end of the day, I kind of, with you, Mike, I, I weighed between the three or two and a half, but the bottom line is, I do recommend that people see this movie. Yeah. Because you have to see that ending. Uh, don't go on YouTube and watch. You've got to watch and experience it. Mm-hmm. So I will also give it three bright red jack lanterns. Wait, three bright orange jack lanterns. Could be red. Yeah, well, I will yeah. say this, though. For a long time, Q, Mike, I thought this was the third best entry. Mm-hmm. I think it's the sixth best entry. I agree. I think the Halloween 3 has aged better than this. I agree. And I think that Halloween 4 is better than this. Ooh, and I think I, disagree. I, I think Halloween 4 is, is better than this. And I think the Curse of Michael Myers is better than this. I agree. I definitely think the Curse is better than this. It's crazy to think that there's no way I would have ever thought I'd feel like that back in 1998. But that's, yeah. in terms of aging, Mm-mm. those movies feel of a of a timeless time. You can't really watch some of those movies and say, oh, this is 1989. Yeah. This is 1995. But this is definitely 1998. And, and that's, I don't know, that's a problem. And that's a major problem. I mean, yeah. like, we, we had this huge argument outside of the music box like a couple years ago because we went to go see Halloween at this small screen that was in the music box and there were people talking and we came out and Justin and I were furious and one of our friends was like well it's an old movie you know people they don't care and the thing is like I guess you could make the somebody can make the argument like oh you have to think about the context of what those scares are like I think Halloween is still a timeless movie, and I still think the scares in there. You don't have to put yourself into the '70s as much. Mm-hmm. Whereas with this one, yeah, I agree. Like you have to think of the '90s, the Creed music. You and the... have to think about <laughs> yeah. what the '90s was like, and you have to watch Scream. Like I, I don't think that you yeah. can remove 100%. those two because it gives you a, some sort of context for why it feels so meta and it feels so sort of self-aware and it feels so sort of slick. You know, and, and that that slickness just wasn't there even three years ago for Halloween Six. Like, it's crazy to think it's such a leap. It feels like it's ten years apart from those movies, and it's really only three. I, know, I have yeah. a question for you. A question for you guys. Um, just going back to the ending real quick. Has there been another horror franchise, or even or even a horror movie on its own, like maybe one of these indie darlings that's come out in the past few years? Has there been another movie that has even attempted? an ending so bold, regardless of what happened afterwards, whether they retconned it. Like, I can't think of another one where it's like, oh, let's just chop his head off, you know? Freddy versus Jason, but then they t- they walk it back with the wink. Um, That's right, yeah. yeah. Freddy's, Freddy's Dead is an awful movie, but it does end with, you think Freddy's dead, and she just comes out and says, Freddy's dead, the movie's over. There's no, like, tease of, oh, maybe he's not dead. Yeah. But this is definitive. Yeah. Dead. Totally. Even those are like, well, maybe he's not dead. Yeah, I mean, yeah. this is a this is a very singular kind of villain as well, where you know he can't regrow a head. You know what exactly. I mean? Like, you've never, exactly. Like, like that's a different situation. Like Freddie, that is, you know, good luck trying to kill him. Yeah, there's millions you know of loopholes. I mean? yeah. yeah, but I can't think of honestly off the top of my head. I can't think of any other franchises. Maybe, maybe Friday the Thirteenth. They've killed him 
they kill him at the end of every episode that you, you could probably be like, oh yeah, this is he's done. But then somehow he comes back. You <laughs> know what I mean? Like, yeah. and that's the fun of those yeah, movies. You know yeah, what exactly, can I say? Exactly. Well, thanks everybody for joining us once again for Halloweenies, Michael Myers podcast. If you like what you heard, please be sure to leave a rating and review for us on iTunes or on whatever platform that you're listening from. And for any other pop culture needs, you should really check out our other fine programs on the Consequence Podcast Network. This must be the gig, terrific. State of the Empire, terrific. If you want deep dives on directors, check out filmography, discography. If you want deep dives on your favorite musical artists, the list goes on, the list goes on and on. on and We've on. got some terrific podcasts there. Um, and of course, <laughs> The Losers Club, the Stephen King podcast, a program in which everybody that you're listening to today also hosts. Mm-hmm. It's all about our love and deep diving of one Stephen King. Now, for our next Halloweenies episode, guess what? Michael Myers isn't dead. Uh. The franchise, I can't wait to talk about The franchise gets resurrected for the appropriately titled Halloween Resurrection. And we'll be breaking down that film as much as we possibly can. Maybe we'll discover something good about it. Uh, We'll leave you hanging with that. So make sure you check out that film. God bless you for doing so. Who knows? But until then... Lock your doors. Bolt your windows. And turn off the lights. Don't trip over that head because Michael Myers is dead. That's a coroner. Consequence Podcast Network.